to the Raw Autos Podcast, episode 16. I am Josh Lewis, of course, your host and the guy behind rawautos.com and so many more wonderful things. If you are listening to this on May 11th, 2020 or May 11th, 2021 or 2022, whatever, it is my birthday. I'm becoming an old man. Uh, I'm actually recording this on May 10th, Mother's Day, which uh, is actually a day for my mother. I was born actually on Mother's Day. Uh, May 11th, 1986. It's kind of an important thing for my mom to celebrate Mother's Day with my birthday. So I went over and visited with my mom. Um, well, I didn't really visit with her. I just dropped off some gifts to her. Uh, wore a mask, of course, and uh, just like, you know, from afar. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird not uh, not being able to hug your mom on Mother's Day. Um, and for some of those out there who obviously can't hug their moms on Mother's Day for other reasons, um, my condolences. Uh, but let's get a few things out, out of the way off the top. Of course, you can download this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and uh, Podbean. And visit rawautos.com for everything about cars, uh, my personal life, not really. And then uh, go to youtube.com slash rawautos, subscribe, like things, uh, and then hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, I think that's finally it. <laughs> I do this every episode and I always feel, I just feel like I'm pandering in a sense, not pandering, but you know what I mean? I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know. I've, I, it's not that I feel weird about it. It's that I feel like I'm just like begging you guys and I feel bad. But with that being said, I got my first comment, uh, or, or review of sorts on Apple podcasts for the Rodas podcast. So let's take a listen. Uh, this gentleman it goes by the name Fueled by Metal and left this on April 28th, 2020. Uh, rates me as five stars. <laughs> Thank you, Fueled by Metal. I appreciate it. But I find this review quite, uh, quite interesting, and you'll understand why in a second. He says, or she, whoever, uh, there's been a great variety of guests, but the host often displays ignorance and narrow-mindedness towards those car cultures other than his own. His stereotyping is especially egregious as it is expressed by looking down at others and laughing at rather than with. His guests usually show the maturity to be more respectful, so hopefully they will rub off on him. I genuinely don't know what the hell this person is actually talking about <laughs> what I've said in my opinions. Um, I have a feeling it, it has something to do with uh, my obsession with uh, manual gearboxes, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I, I talk about in my May 4th episode, which is uh, buying a future classic car. Uh, my brother and I are looking at buying, a, you know, a car, something fun that can potentially become a future classic uh, so we can enjoy it now and then maybe make some money off it later or just keep it forever. But he left a comment or she, sorry, they left a comment on April 28th and I made that episode on May 4th and I talk about in that episode, I talk about... Uh, uh, how I prefer a sports car with a manual gearbox and that you can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> so I, I don't know what this person's talking about, but more power to them. You're entitled to your opinion. Uh, if, if you are listening fueled by metal, hit me up at uh, Josh at rawautos.com so I can get a clue as to what exactly you're talking about. Now I'm very interested for you to hear my guest this week because he is genuinely, I feel a very captivating person to listen to. Uh, is the reason why I had him on the podcast. I know he appreciates me even thinking of him. 
for the podcast. But at the end of the day, it wasn't just that I was thinking about him uh, because I do like him. Um, but it's a guy named Scott Vandy Kirkov. Um, if you haven't heard of him, he is actually a retail training specialist for Mercedes-Benz, uh, specializing for Mercedes-AMG. He works with uh, 22 of the 90 specific AMG dealerships. Uh, you'll, you'll hear him talk about it in uh, the podcast and the interview. Basically, there are 90 special AMG dealers all over the country. Uh, there's more AMG or more Mercedes-Benz dealers, obviously, than that. Uh, but he deals with the very specific ones that have actual AMG-specific uh, sales departments and salespeople uh, that are more geared towards the AMGs. Uh, and in its he has a very interesting story. We go, we kind of go through a little bit of everything, uh, from his, uh, dark days of being a police officer and then moving into the auto industry. Um, and there, there's one thing I hope you take away from this and it's really in so many of the podcasts and I didn't even realize it before I started the podcast. I didn't even realize how many people really were like this. And that is they have a depressing job and they just work their ass off to get out of that depressing job to do what they want to do in the car uh, world. And Scott is one of those people. And so was Johnny Lieberman. So was John Perley Huffman. So was I, there's so many people and it's a great story because while Scott is not a journalist, he deals with journalists just because we're friends with him on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And by the way, Scott and I have never actually met personally. We've only talked over Facebook. We've only, you know, chatted and been friendly over social media. I really like all these people that I talk to. You know, I, I have them on not because I want to fill airtime or I want to, you know, um, just have somebody to, you know, on the other line. It's because I think they have good stories and they're interesting people. And Scott is definitely one of those people. Um, and uh, he is obsessed with his little four and a half pound chihuahua, uh, Big Lou. <laughs> so sit down you know, relax. It's not like you have anything else to do for most of you. Uh, if you do have something else to do and it's more important, well, go do that first and then come back to the Rawness podcast. Of course, please do share this with other people that, you know, uh, I would appreciate it. Uh, share it with people that like cars, share it with people that don't like cars. Uh, and I, I say that because people that don't like cars can find something interesting with a lot of these guests. Because it's not, I mean, yes, we all share a passion for automobiles and the history of the automobile, but also at the same time, we share a passion for life and for realizing that there is a, uh, a negative aspect to our lives that we wanted to get out of and wanted to move into a more positive uh, experience and also something that was more rewarding, right? So, uh, yeah, I'll let you listen to that in just a second. Scott is great. Um, I, I, had a, I genuinely had a blast talking to him. But uh, I am getting press cars again. I have a Toyota RAV4 TRD sitting outside my house right now. Obviously have not driven it a whole ton. I usually drive press cars a lot more than I currently am for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, you will hear that review uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, next week, uh, I will share with you uh, either next week or the following week. Let's see, what is next week? I never have my calendar open. What is wrong with me? Uh, May 18th. Monday, May 18th will be another podcast. Um, and uh, on, that podca on that podcast, I will share with you the uh, Ford Ranger, 2020 Ford Ranger Lariat FX4 review that I will have ready to go and let you listen to. 
Um, and then down in the future, you will hear the 2020 Toyota Yaris uh, XLE hatchback. Uh, and then you'll hear about this um, uh, RAV4 TRD that I have. And then, so this coming Wednesday, so in two days, uh, they will be picking up the RAV4, which reminds me, holy shit, I have a lot of pictures and videos to take with it. <laughs> and uh, they'll be picking that up. They'll be dropping off a Mazda CX-30. Uh, very interested to get behind the wheel of that. So you'll hear that review as well at some point. And then uh, following that, I think I should have the Lexus LS500 hybrid. So we'll see how that works out. Um, but yeah. So without further ado, I do welcome our guest for week 16, Mr. Scott Vandy Kirkhove. How are you doing? How are you holding up? How am I? Boy, it sounds so morbid. <laughs> um, uh, Josh, uh, we're, we're okay really down here. Um, I'm living in Dallas. Um, our health is good. We're, uh, we're staying in communication with our, our family, friends, and you know, loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, we're making the best of a, a stay-at-home situation, right? We're, which pretty much everyone's in that boat. Um, luckily, I am, I'm embedded with the world's greatest cook. <laughs> so we are eating like royalty uh, nearly every night. Um, plus, we're, we're getting to be with our dog 24-7, and he's amazing. So all in all... I really can't complain too much. Um, we had to cancel a few family visits and, and events that were kind of on the schedule. That was a bit of a bummer, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, th- those to me are, are kind of first world problems right now compared to what we could be up against. Right. Um, like, for instance, like the first world problems. My parents were supposed to come down here in March for the first time since we moved here. Um, I had bought uh, bon Jovi tickets oh. for my mom and dad. Uh, my mom uh, is just a lifelong Bon Jovi fan. She loves John Bon Jovi. I got her fifth row tickets for a concert in July with Brian. Oh my God. Back in Detroit that got canceled. Um, and, and kind of, I think they were really thinking about the, the, for, for, <laughs> uh, for the, for the welfare of their own fans. Like, you know, our tickets cost a lot of money. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't want to just postpone. So we want to, del- you know, what, cancel it and get your money back because it can probably be spent in a better way. Oh yeah. Um, so that got canceled. Uh, my concert in Florida with my buddy Brandon. We were going to go see White Snake and Sammy Hagar. Uh, that's got to be getting canceled here shortly. I got to believe. Uh, and I had track time scheduled in March at uh, at Coda with AMG. Oh uh, man. And that got that got postponed um so but listen we'll manage again those are first world problems right um i gotta tell you though your your cancellations and your pushbacks are probably the most interesting of anybody i've talked to yet (laughs) so that's that's good yeah you're actually a full dance card yeah yours actually make me depressed now (laughs) you know what was canceled when when all this came about, so I live in North Carolina, all the stay-at-home orders. You know what I had to cancel? No. Nothing. I, I didn't oh. have to cancel anything. I was just like, you know what? I It was, the weird thing is my wife was really sad because she was like, oh, I can't go visit my friends, can't go hang out. She's a uh, an Olympic weightlifter, a semi-professional weightlifter, and she drives about two hours away almost every mm-hmm. Saturday to lift with her team and her coach. And, you know, she's like, oh, I can't do any of that. 
and I'm just sitting in the room smiling and she's like, why are you so happy about being told you have to stay home? And I'm like, because now (laughs) I have the ultimate excuse. I would love to see you. But, you know, the governor says and experts say it's really much safer if I don't. You know, it's just it just makes it so much easier because now I don't have to lie and pretend that I want to see you, even though I don't. You know, it's oh. like... <laughs> so uh, now your wife, uh, I, I think I've only seen pictures of her online and, and you and I have never met in person before. Correct. But is her is her name Reba? Is that correct? Yes. Reba. Yeah. Okay. That was right on. that was how I actually uh, remembered her name because she was the only uh, black woman I'd ever met with the with the name of Reba. Uh-huh. And so everybody, when my family and friends first met her, they were like, oh, yeah, like Reba McIntosh or like Reba McIntosh, McIntosh, Reba McIntosh. McIntosh. I'm using, McIntosh, I'm looking yeah. at my McIntoshes all sitting here right now. Um, but uh, <laughs> I was like, that's the one th- like, how white is it when you look at a black person and go, your name is just like a famous white person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and a famous way. country singer at yeah, that. Yeah, at, at that. Now, I mean, granted, mm-hmm. Reba McIntyre did have an entertaining show. My my wife actually liked the Reba show. She thought it was entertaining. Her mom okay. and her actually like they like some of the country music and stuff like that. So that it was. My wife is uh, is is incredibly um, not bothered nor offended by any of that. Like none of that is just none of it phases her. She's like, yeah, just like Reba McIntyre, you know, because everybody's been calling her that for years, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, my buddy actually calls her a Reba Franklin. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but he just calls her a Reba. He thought it was funny. So my wife, yeah. along, she loves it. She's not bothered by any of it, but yeah, she's, um, She's way more badass than I am, and also she has way more friends. I have a lot of friends, but all my friends are like, you know, we're fine with texting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all my friends are nerds, so we're like, hey, let's go play a game online. You know, yeah. And my wife is like, I gotta go outside. I gotta get sun. I gotta do things. I'm like, why? Yeah. What's the point in that? It's ridiculous. And you, and you, you, you guys do. Uh, you guys do CrossFit together of some kind. Is that right? So we actually started. That's. Um, one of the ways we actually got into our relationship, she was actually my waitress at a restaurant and uh, okay. she asked me out, which is amazing because she's way hotter than I am. But, um, you know, she just she couldn't get enough of this. What can I say? Um, mm-hmm. But we started doing CrossFit <laughs> together because she had a uh, she had just graduated college and in college she had a scholarship to play soccer. And she had done a little bit of CrossFit in college. And then when we met, we started doing CrossFit together. At the time, I was competing competing locally in weightlifting events, uh, Olympic lifting events, and so she started to get into it. And now she's actually the uh, two-time silver medalist for the state of North Carolina in her weight class, uh, two years in a row. Took the bronze before that. She's lifted nationally, is is ranked uh, high up nationally in her weight class. Yeah. Um, and so she's taken it and and gone on to great things. Me, I've gotten really lazy and stopped doing it. But her weightlifting coach and I both are on this. Uh, we're doing this challenge. We both want to lose weight and get back into you know the swing of things. Now he's mm-hmm. a weightlifting coach, so he is busy working with weightlifters all day, whereas I'm just busy being lazy. And so what we're doing is it's called the Road to 89. So it's 89 kilos, about 195 pounds, and yep. we're going from now until December. Uh, we are logging our uh, weight every day, our food every day. And we, we're working out the same workouts three days a week for right now. And then we'll move up to four and five days, whatever. And then in December, 
we will actually compete against one another at a local competition and then do a big like cookout barbecue thing. So like um, a powerlifting competition? Uh weightlifting competition. Yeah. So uh clean and jerk okay. and snatch. Those two uh okay. those two lifts. Yeah. So that's gotcha. That's what um uh I used to lift, you know, semi competitively, not, you know, not to any real success, but I enjoyed it, you know, but my uh-huh. uh but I used to do CrossFit and then I moved more into the weightlifting side of things cuz I enjoyed it a little bit more, a little bit more relaxed pace. Um but I competed locally in both, you know, just for fun. But now I've gotten fat, and, you know, old. I'll be 34 on, you know, well, actually, when people are listening to this, I'll be 34. So. Yeah, you, you mentioned you had a birthday coming up. So. Yeah, which is, yeah. which is ironic because I don't like people. I don't, I don't celebrate my birthday and I don't like when people tell me happy birthday. So it's ironic that I'm actually telling people that my birthday is, you know, May 11th. So. Yeah. Well, I'll be sure not to greet you on your birthday then at, uh, at your, at your request. I used to actually delete my Facebook the day of my birthday. Um, and then automotive <laughs> PR people, uh, they got, they thought it would be funny if they just emailed me instead, happy birthday messages. Um, and then a friend of mine wrote a line of code for his website years ago and we had a podcast together, um, and he wrote this line of code and he said at the end of the podcast, hey, go to my website and click on the link. And so this link mm-hmm. said, you know, wish Josh a happy birthday. Well, when you click the link to wish me a happy birthday, it would send like five emails per person to me and just destroy my email. So I had like a thousand, fifteen hundred email just in, in a period of like 10 or 12 hours. Wow. And so he thought that would be hilarious. And it was a funny joke. So anyway. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, so yeah, so you know we're we're doing okay too. I'm glad you guys are doing okay. But I'm really sad that you have had to kind of cancel some of your plans because your plans are way way better. Well, I mean, some of it will get rescheduled. Uh, I'll get back to uh, my parents still live in the Detroit area, so I'll get back to them as soon as I possibly can, or you know when when they're comfortable with that. Um, uh, they'll they'll get down here. We we just moved to Dallas down here in uh, October. October, and this would have been the first time we had visitors actually coming in. And in fact, my fiance's sister was going to be down here as well, so that got canceled. But again, first world problems. We'll get there when we get there. Um, <laughs> uh, we both have jobs still, right? Which we're we're very fortunate that way. Um, I'm on a two week leave right now, kind of while the dust settles. I think at the company, and uh, but there, there's plenty of work waiting for me when I return. Uh, and I've stayed cautiously optimistic that we'll come out of this okay on the other side. But, you know, working a lot, um, crossing off a lot of to-do lists, staying entertained via TV, podcasts. <laughs> um, a good buddy of mine, my, uh, a good buddy of mine is, he's a comedian in Chicago, oh, and cool. uh, he runs a nightly Instagram live. Who's and your, I've who's been your buddy? All, so his name is Pat Truer. Okay, and uh, he runs a company called True Laughs, and and the page is associated <laughs> with it. But he runs like a, a every night around seven thirty Central Time. He'll have a comedian on around seven, yeah, around seven thirty. They'll talk for thirty to forty five minutes, kind of about how that person got into the game. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Exchange exchange a lot of jokes. Um, it's it's very unsanitized, <laughs> uh, and I, I I know quite a few comics, so uh, I've funneled like four or five guys his way, and they've been guests, and uh, so I've remained laughing. Uh, that's very important, and uh, there's no shortage of heavy metal music pouring through my headphones and through <laughs> any stereo available uh, to get me through. So uh, 
I'm I'm doing okay, all things considered, Josh. To to answer your original question <laughs> that that I went off on a tangent with, but oh, uh, that's okay. That's I, I will be sure to listen to your buddy though, because that's uh, that's pretty awesome. I I love uh, I love comedy. I love comedians. Um, one of my dogs is actually named Carlin after George Carlin. Um, nice. My wife just found a little kitten in our neighborhood uh, that we are uh, <clears throat> taking care of, and and you know trying to. Uh, um, he's about five or six weeks old, so we're taking care of him, you know, nursing him and everything. And uh, yeah, we've named him Pryor after Richard Pryor. Um, nice. So yeah, so you know, we're, I'm I'm a little a little obsessed with uh, with some comedians. And um, but you noticed, or you noticed, geez, you said I noticed you said there you go. Uh, what you do for a living? I know what you do for a living, but for the mm-hmm. uh, pre-recorded audience, what? Uh, who do you work for? What exactly does your job entail? Oh, okay. Um, so I, I, I work for Mercedes-Benz USA. Um, I'm coming up on my five-year anniversary with the company. Congratulations. And uh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's a, it's a good milestone to shoot for. But um, uh, effectively, what my job is right now, my official job title is AMG Retail Training Specialist. Um, and I guess I guess maybe to to help you understand that role if you want me to go into any depth with it um is to kind of tell you how i got to ben's okay um and i'm assuming you're going to ask how i got there because i've I've been (laughs) in the auto industry 15 years now so i originally got hired by ben's back in 2015 okay um as a retail trainer for mercedes-benz passenger car and smart car oh wow and uh so it was in that role, it was a fairly diverse amount of topics that I would train on. The largest component was in dealer training, um, where I'd be traveling to our stores. Uh, I was living in Chicago when I did that job. Um, I was going any going in with you know any number of, of new vehicles or telematic systems or walk around training. Um, that was the largest component, the in dealer side. But additionally, I do a lot of classroom training. Mm-hmm. Um, at what's called our learning and performance center. And we have five of those around the country. And I was stationed out of the Itasca, Illinois office, which is just like f- effectively next door to O'Hare uh, International Airport. Okay. And at that training center, dealers would come travel to us and we would do classroom and workshop facilitation. So we had any number of classes that we would put people through there, including like, we had a product and technology workshop that was a two-day class, uh, product concierge, which is uh, a two-day course on learning how to to properly uh, deliver a car to a customer, mm-hmm. um, how to ex- not just explain features, but do it in a way that customers can do it themselves, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. learn and retain it when they drive off the lot after buying a new car. So that was a, a, a big push there. And then we had a class called customer focused selling which is all for really sales consultants and how they approach cross customers um you know doing a proper needs assessment uh, all the way through the walk around process um asking for the sale in the end mm-hmm. uh so a, a lot of that uh even like interpersonal communication skills mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um th- those are all things we did at the training center um and i did that job specifically for two years and then was was lucky enough to land uh, an AMG training specialist job, um, which is which is one of only four positions like it in the entire country. Wow! Um, and it is 
uh, it is the best job I have ever had. And, <laughs> and uh, it is pretty rad. I mean, when you really think about <laughs> it, you know, it's like, it's, it's a pretty, pretty amazing uh, gig. It is. It is. Thank, thank you for saying something so nice. <laughs> uh, it's true, though. Um, this this role is is obviously hyper focused on AMG. Um, to give you a little bit better idea of kind of how that rolls out, mm-hmm. there are let's call it 385 Mercedes Benz dealers throughout the United States, and several years ago there was a uh, an extra initiative put into place where these dealers all had a chance to come on board as, uh, as an AMG performance center. Okay. And, um, the, the current iteration of it, 90 of the stores, uh, selected to come on board as an AMG performance center. Wow. Okay. And this required, uh, it's a, it's a separate dealer agreement. Mm-hmm. They, they buy in, they have to, uh, incorporate more physical properties, Within their store, they have something called a pit lane that's like a simulated asphalt with uh, uh, racetrack borders on the outside of it. Mm-hmm. They have something called an AMG Power Wall, which is a like the world's most comprehensive vehicle exploration tool literally in the world to yeah. where we can, we can burrow down into literally bolt by bolt granularity on every single amg we have in the lineup uh, See, all the I, way up to i love that that's that's yeah. cool to me i love that that deep technical dive into anything yeah yeah and that's that's exclusive to these 90 stores and additionally on top of that they're the only 90 stores that get exclusive amg training and uh i focus on 23 of those 90 stores I cover a an obscene territory in terms of distance, but um, it's it's an amazing job, and um, I'm I'm one of the luckiest guys I think with within the company, and and I would I would argue industry wide uh, throughout the world that get an opportunity to do this. Um, my my role has grown exponentially, moving from the passenger car side to the AMG side. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to to get my hands into uh, far more development of not cars. I want to be very clear about that. I don't develop automobiles, but I develop curriculum for our dealers. I work with an instructional design team that is embedded uh, in what's called the Mercedes-Benz Academy, which mm-hmm. is the kind of the educational arm of uh, Mercedes-Benz USA. And we are building uh, any number of classes for our dealers and uh that spans everything from e-learnings which would be done on your computer uh through our learning link portal Mm -hmm. uh to in-dealer training we're developing powerpoints uh participant guides that are you know paper in hand i'm talking like a very very beautifully bound book uh, with you know fill in the blanks and word association exercises and then wow. de- developing ways in which we can enhance um, the training on the floor to facilitate a really really strong learning environment for our dealers um, so that you know when we go visit our stores and and when we're running at full steam and there's not a pandemic we're in stores roughly once a quarter mm-hmm. and um you know, our goal is to leave an indelible pre- impression on on those dealers. Uh, help them understand the product that's coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Craft a story for them, 
and facilitate a learning environment where they're not just listening to us talk at them. I, I, it's not about what I know about our brand or our cars. It's what they know when I leave right. and I'm right. not there to hold their hand. And uh, that's, that's what we really pride ourselves on. It's a, a wonderful program. MBUSA to me is unlike any other manufacturer in the entire industry that that stands behind learning and training prides themselves on it and i think our brand our vehicles our dealers are are an extension of the training efforts that we put forth i'm I'm very bullish on our efforts and our passion for what we do and uh it's it's great so so that that's in a nutshell what i do um I also do a lot of, I, I get called and emailed constantly from dealers. Um, we are kind of their lifeline mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. customers have those very in-depth questions. And, and certainly AMG customers are some of the most discerning buyers in the marketplace. Of course. They, they expect the dealers to know. And mm-hmm. if they don't, they, they expect to get an answer. And, uh, well, they're spending I'm, a lot I'm, of money. You know, it's something that is is very is very well crafted. Obviously, my dad had a uh, had an AMG GT uh, oh. for a short period of time. Yeah. Oh man. And my parents are are they're not new to Mercedes Benz. They've had numerous Benzes over the years. My mom, um, this is going to sound extremely privileged, and uh, it's fine. Uh, but my mom mm-hmm. has had since uh, nineteen ninety six ninety seven. She's had I think eight SL benzes um wow and but they'd never bought an amg uh they had always just had you know sl 500s or first it was the 500 sl then it was sl 500s then it was mm-hmm. sl 550s and yep. uh all with the amg sport package except for the you know the original sls back in the day just had basically the, the sport wheels but nothing crazy mm-hmm. um yep. But when my dad bought his AMG GT, he thought it was it was crazy to him. He pulled up because he was hearing a noise that he just wasn't sure about. So he pulled up to a local Benz dealer and uh, got out of the car. And the salesperson walked up to him and said, "Hey, you know, sir, what can we help with help you with?" And he said, "Oh, just wanted to uh, just have a, a little noise. I'm not sure about it." And the guy's like, "Okay." And he said, "My dad said like four people walked over immediately, got it, took the car back, and they're doing like all this stuff and everything." And and he's like. I'd never experienced with any Benz that specific type of treatment. You know, it's always good treatment, obviously, but with mm-hmm. that, it was just like it was a it was a totally different world. You know, and within ten minutes, they were like, "Oh, here's you know, here's what you're hearing, here's what it is, blah blah blah." Mm-hmm. You know, and it was just it was nothing, nothing was wrong. But then yeah. they topped up the fluids for him. They started doing all these things, you know, because you you spend money on a vehicle that you expect to be at the highest level of, of everything quality performance, you know? So the fact that I, I think it's actually extremely uh, um, entertaining and interesting that you're actually building coursework for dealers Mm -hmm. to, to really understand because as a, as somebody who sold cars, God, I, I, I built my own coursework to sell Mazdas, (laughs) you know, I, I built my own stuff because not to say that Mazda is a bad brand, but they, you know, it's a totally different customer. You know, they're not, mm-hmm. they're, they don't need to build a, you know, a, a course guideline on the Miata, you know, and, but I built my own because I was obsessed with it. I love these cars, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, that's what made me become a journalist or want to become a journalist, you know? Cool. And, uh, so that, that's very interesting. Cause I, I, I find that fascinating, honestly. Um, 
Well, that that cool. Uh, I mean, listen. Um, I, I know you worked in the car business, and I I don't have to sell you on the idea of what an hour commitment it is mm-hmm. to be in the car business. Mm-hmm. Um, my dealers are they are grinding. Oh yeah, all oh, yeah. the time. Um, I, I don't want to forget about your dad's experience at the dealer, but I'll, I'll finish on this point that we're talking about here. My dealers, they don't have, I don't know that they have time to build their own training courses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And frankly, that is why we are in place. Um, we, we are there to provide that educational experience for them. Their job is to sell, to promote the brand. And it's our job to arm them with every conceivable tool possible to to not only sell cars but to provide an experience like your dad had mm-hmm. um you know i'm i'd hate to say that I'm, uh, I'm i'm not surprised one bit about the experience your dad had when when four people came out that's what our dealers do mm-hmm. they know that that three-pointed star it it is more than just a car right. it is a commitment mm-hmm. to the you know really the world's oldest car company, inventor of the automobile. I mean, we we invented the game. Mm-hmm. Um, our our company motto <clears throat> for the longest time, obviously, being the best or nothing. That is a very final statement, and it, you know you have to live and die by that. And uh, anything short of that is is unacceptable. So yeah, I mean, every one of my I, there's not one of my stores that I visit that I would not buy a car from. No, that's and fan- that I would fantastic. and yeah. that I would not tell a buyer in that area, even if they didn't get the car from there. The, every store that I go to, <clears throat> you can you can go in there confidently, knowing that their service department, they're going to treat you like gold. They will be straightforward. They will be transparent. It's just a magical experience, and that's what Benz and AMG have to be. <clears throat> so that's that's really where where it, what it comes down to. Yeah, and a, a guy years ago that used to sell uh, my parents uh, multiple Mercedes over the years, um, when I was a, a teenager, uh, this is when uh, Mercedes, so this, I was 18 in 2004, so this would have been 2002, 2003, around the time of the when the Maybach first you know came back. And okay. uh, he took me in, as a teenager, took me into the private room because he was their, you know, their registered uh, Maybach sales guy, or Maybach sales guy, salesperson, you know, professional, whatever it was. And yeah. he took me into the room to show me how they did everything. And I was, you know, what, 16, 17 at the time. And just, you know, flabbergasted because it's, you know, cool as hell to go in there and, and see how you literally build your own experience you know you have this experience and you're building your own car essentially you know yeah yeah of course um and then he took me through all the training that he did to sell at the time the uh the mercedes mclaren slr which they had one in the mm-hmm. showroom and and cool so he took me through all of the ins and outs because he knew i was very interested in that stuff and and so it's it's always fascinated me that that uh down to the the minute you know the the even the least amount of details are so important to the people that represent historical brands like Mercedes, like AMG, you know, I mean, you guys are Mercedes is genuinely a part of history, a part of world history. And I always say that the automobile is one of the most important historical, uh, uh, things that we don't really study. You don't study it in school. We don't study engineers in school. And I think we should, I think we, we, we should be studying people who have, 
revolutionized transportation, revolutionized safety, safety in transportation. And Mercedes-Benz is a huge proponent of safety in automobiles. The largest. It's not even up for debate. The (laughs) the safety patents, the the inventions and innovations over... um, you know, over 130 years of existence, it's uh, it's outrageous how much we've influenced the entire auto industry. But I don't say that in an egotistical way. It's just um, those are just the facts. And mm-hmm. and Daimler overall, um, you know, uh, sometimes like in partnership with a company like Bosch, mm-hmm. um, developed things that are on every vehicle now, right? You know, like right. ESP, uh, something we developed along with Bosch. Uh, what I think that came out in 95 mm-hmm. on the S-Class, uh, first time ever on an automobile, and then becomes federally mandated in 2012, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, we developed that in, in the early and mid-90s. Uh, ABS, um, crumple zones. Well, um, the S-Class in 19, was it 90 or 91, was the first ever car with dual uh, front airbags. Airbags, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really amazing when you take a step back, um, and, and the effect that the company has had on just the, the greater good of the auto industry. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's compelling, and you know. Think about and how it's, fast we've moved from thirty years having in nineteen ninety, thirty years later, going from two front airbags to basically being encapsulated by a giant bubble, you know, in some of these yeah. cars. Yeah, I'm calling from in one of them right now. So that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's staggering. It's a, so it's a really interesting car company to be a part of. I, I never thought in in a million years that I'd be sitting in this position, but uh, again, very fortunate and uh, getting to work with the dealers. It, it's amazing. Like I had such an admiration for these cars and products going mm-hmm. going back almost to the time I started thinking about cars. Um, but, you know, the, the, the customers and the dealers for me are, are arguably just as just as important, if not more impactful to me personally uh, for my involvement in the business. So it's uh, it's totally great. I mean, I get in the AMG side, I get more involved with customer topics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, are you familiar at all with the AMG Driving Academy? I am, yeah. Okay. Have you been before by chance? I've never been. Never been. No. Okay. So uh, th- this is unlike any other OEM-backed uh, driving experience that you can do. We have a, a multi-tier um, set of courses that you can go through uh, depending on the AMG that you you purchase or lease. Mm-hmm. As long as it's brand new, um, you either get a, a credit or sometimes a, a full coverage of a, what's called a performance one day class um, to go and you don't even bring your car to the track. We, we've got a full fleet of AMGs we bring to four different courses throughout the U.S. Um, we, we go to Laguna Seca, Circuit of the Americas, Road Atlanta, and Lime Rock. And um, like our performance one day class, I, I think is upwards of, uh, I think 92 people come out. Wow. Um, they are going to get a full immersive experience on track, on autocross, um, lane change and evasive maneuvers, mm-hmm. uh, drifting. And that's just in like the one day beginner class. <laughs> and uh, and then you can graduate. It's, it's like a tiered graduation. So we've got, we've got a performance one day class. We've got an advanced two day class. We've got a pro class that is uh, another two days. And then we have a pro plus class 
that once you complete that, you are eligible. Uh, it, it's it's a accredited class by uh, the Sports Car Club of America, and oh, you can wow. leapfrog a lot of the other requirements to get a uh, uh, a professional driver's license, uh, race race license through the SCCA. That's amazing. Um, it's amazing, right? And then we've got um, we've got now two drift classes. We've got drift and drift plus. So we've got uh, we've got six different you know, really comprehensive choices on the menu. And uh, it's amazing getting involved with that. And that's really cool. I've, I've been through a couple of the, the different iterations. It's amazing. Uh, uh, unlike anything else I've, I've ever done in my career and, and, and doing it on a company backed program that I work for. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> we, we do a lot of private lounge stuff. Um, although that has subsided a bit recently, right. private lounge is a, uh, an online portal that is exclusive to AMG owners. You have oh, to wow. have a, a registered VIN to get access to it. But oh, that's cool. we were doing we were doing chat sessions once a month with us and uh, AMG product management and and getting into the nitty gritty stuff. People have questions; they can get on and talk live with us. Um, I, I, I assist in planning uh, when when people are over in Europe. They go to Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, I can get them set up with tours of our our one man one engine facility in a falter box or if they're a two-door gt buyer like your dad was um i can get them into the single finger plant and they can go see that two-door gt being built by hand <laughs> that's cool uh, it's amazing and then we've got you were talking about <laughs> ben's being part of world history if you want to go to the world's greatest museum regardless of topic mm-hmm. it is the mercedes-benz museum in stuttgart it is uh mind-boggling you you start up on the top floor of this building and when you get off the elevator the very first thing that's sitting there is a horse because (laughs) that's how people first got around and as you literally work your way down in a spiral you know you move from there to the the ben's patent motor wagon which is the many would argue is the first true automobile Mm -hmm. uh developed by by carl benz and then you see the first four four wheel uh vehicle and motorcycle developed by daimler and wilhelm maybach and then you literally work your way down through history and you will end up at uh, at the, the ground floor with some of our most current products. And it's a it's a it's not just an expose of like Benz and, and AMG history. It's world history. It's it's it the is, industrial yeah. revolution oh, yeah. as you are working your way down. And it's um, so being a part of that and helping facilitate helping to facilitate with our dealers and our customers to give them that experience um, it's, it's, it's outstanding. I, I pinch myself every time I'm able to put something together for a country that's thousands of miles away across an ocean. And just with a few emails and phone calls, we can, we can set something up. It's amazing. But at the same time, Mercedes Benz are, and have been for many years, very, very dedicated to, to the American market and extremely into America. I mean, your, your products are, almost as American as apple pie at this point, you know, some of them for sure. I mean, we build all of our full size SUVs for the entire world minus the G wagon. Um, so we're, we're talking GLE mm-hmm. GLS, all of those for the entire world market are built at our plant in, in Vance, Alabama, um, which is, which and, is and huge. It's huge. Yeah. We, we do a tremendous, I mean, those are our, those are our bread and butter vehicles now. Mm-hmm. Um, we Extremely also build important, all, yeah. Oh yeah, um, all of our C-class sedans that are sold in the U.S. are also assembled there. 
Oh, wow. And, okay. uh, I didn't know yeah. That. And, and that plant will, um, it will continue to play a pivotal role in, in, in basically Daimler operations worldwide. Right. I mean, it's a huge plant for mm-hmm. us that builds, uh, some, some very, very big product for us. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get too far off topic, but that's, uh, how I'd answer your question about what my job entails. Uh, oh, another, another thing I'd probably talk about, we something you exclusive for our AMG performance centers too. We just pulled and luckily got it in right under the, the wire basically before this pandemic set in. But um, we, we have a, uh, an initiative called product expert training okay. that uh, for the longest time was an AMG global training event that was held at different racetracks every year around the world. Uh, and this time around, Mercedes-Benz USA developed our own on-track program exclusively for our dealers. And we have uh, a multi-year deal at Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama. That's awesome. And uh, we just executed that at the end of February and uh, did that hosted. I-, I was very fortunate to be selected as the host <laughs> and uh, welcomed over 320 dealer participants over eight days and did a bunch of on-track, on-street lot of classroom uh very bespoke training on a lot of lot of neat products that we have including competitors so it was a runaway success and uh, i couldn't have done it without my team but it was it was magical a really career defining project i love that that's awesome and and going along with everything you know that you do all the basically all the hats you wear that are essentially just one large pope hat of sorts um (laughs) how much different is it working with dealers then on the PR side of things? Like, are you still considered public relations, you know, for what you do? Cause you obviously you still kind of, kind of deal with the public, but from a, a little bit longer of an arm's length. Right. So, um, all right. I mean, I can, I used to work with the press directly. Right. In fact, that's kind of how I got into the business in a, in a roundabout way. But nowadays, no, okay. uh, I am. I am not involved in PR in the least. Um, we, the only activity I have with PR is the personal relationships I have, like through Facebook or Instagram, like with someone like yourself or, mm-hmm. or Johnny Lieberman or, uh, uh, you know, any number of journalists that I, I interact with on there. But no, the PR is we have our own department for that. Okay. Um, deal dealers are my customer. Um, in fact, our end users, the people that are buying our vehicles, they are not technically my responsibility. That's the dealers. Okay. Right. Um, so, so it's it's fairly territorial, but in a good way. Um, PR deals with the media. Any media questions that I might receive, if you had a question mm-hmm. on how something's working on a press car that you have, mm-hmm. while I might know the answer, I'm going to direct that to my PR department because that is their, that's their responsibility. Right. I don't want to infringe on them. And, uh, you know, my, my core responsibility now is my dealers helping them learn. I'm, I'm a teacher and, and actually creating the story for them, facilitating that training environment and helping bring their product knowledge to the surface. That is, that's my job. Um, there with the media, back in the day when I worked with them, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I had to have a very unbiased approach right? because I was working for a, a vendor and I, I'd gladly talk about that because that's a huge yeah, part of my career. Please but, do. um, you know, with, with dealers, I, I have a vested <clears throat> interest not only in their success, but 
this is my brand. This is my company. Mm-hmm. I'm responsible for my colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't work in PR. We have that department. Any media questions go to them. I work for a customer services department, okay. and I'm part of the Mercedes-Benz Academy. We're the educational division of our company. We train more than our dealers, too. Uh, we, we train a lot of our internal business units, so mm-hmm. any of the other departments that need training on our products or any of our suppliers or like even like our auto show staffs. Okay. Uh, a, a job that I used to have a long time ago, too. Uh, anyone that's representing Benz that needs training, like if our brand event marketing team who's responsible for that group says, you know, we need product and brand training for that group, they would call upon us and we would set up a, um, a time and a place to go do that. So uh, it's long-winded, but no, I, I do not work in PR any longer. No, okay. So, and and how did you really get started in in this you know, in this game, in this, in this world, because obviously you said you were on the vendor side and you've moved into, you know, the, uh, one of the most amazing jobs that anybody could have now. Okay. How did you, how did you really <laughs> get into this? Cause I know this is going to be a long answer, but I'm, I'm genuinely <clears throat> curious cause I know you've been around. I mean, you, you've been around probably longer than I have in, in this game, haven't you? Cause I've been around since Oh seven. I started in Oh six. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, how much time we got here? I've got as much time. You look, if I got to put a four four hour podcast up there, I'll do it. I don't mind. Right, well, I, I don't want to do that to you or your uh, your listeners, but this uh, this will take some background, and I I don't have any shame in telling you this stuff because I think it's if anyone is listening that has even a a, a small interest in in becoming uh, a part of the auto industry and they think they have no shot or that they're just not set up for it, or they don't, don't have the background. I am the most stereo or the, the, the most, I, I got to believe I have one of the more inspiring stories as to how uh, I got to where I am. I love um, so I'll, I'll, I'll start out at college. Co- college actually steered me towards law enforcement. Okay. Um, and I actually graduated in 2004 with uh, a degree in criminal justice from Wayne State University in Detroit. Interesting. Okay. So when I got out of the academy, um, you, you take this exam called, I think it was called M. Coles, which was the Michigan Commission of Law Enforcement Standards. That's what it, I think that's what the acronym stood for. Okay. And you, you effectively go and do this test and you do the sit down interview. And I think there, in my group, there were like 150 people interested to get into law enforcement at this time in Michigan. And you got ranked based on your test results and any of the departments that were looking to hire people, they would, they kind of, they, I think they probably paid M Coles for this roster of people. And then literally starting from the top down, if you had an opening, you would start at those people. Right. And if you place those jobs with those people or they washed out, you'd start working your way down that list, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think I placed, I was 32 or 33, and I ended up getting hired by a, a, a department out in suburban Detroit, um, or in, in Metro Detroit, I should say, and uh, they put me through the police academy. And I'll, I'll be quite honest with you, I had a great time in the academy. I, I became a cop, um, but I'll, candidly, it was, undoubtedly the worst most destructive experience of my entire life really um it was i i can't put it enough into words how bad it was for me personally um Ah. i was 
I was only 23 years old. So I, a lot of people become cops sooner than that. Um, I think Detroit even hires as young as 18 years old, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. But um, I was 23. I was truly, I was completely unprepared for what that job entailed. Uh, and, and what it came down to, I just found law enforcement to be one of the most toxic cultures to be part of. And what I, what I mean by that, it's not dealing with, with problematic citizens. You expect that they can train you for that. Right. Um, it, it's more so what I felt was like the, the fair weather friendship on the internal workings of a police department. Okay. Uh, it is awful. It's terribly political. If you are not ready for it, you, you will not make it. And if you push back, and if you stand up for yourself and you think you're doing the right thing and you're, you're kind of standing your ground as like a, as like this young person, this cop, you're, you're finished. And I was 23 at the time, no real life experience, truly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't ready for how cruel the world could be. And I was completely spun out. Um, and I, I made a very, very easy decision to leave. Okay. And I was now I was still 23 or 24 at the time. Um, and when I got out of law enforcement, I was faced with this horrible reality. I had, I had a four-year degree in focused in criminal justice. It's a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. So it, it's probably the worst <laughs> focused area of study you can possibly have if you're not in criminal justice, right? right? Yeah. You can't become right? an English teacher. <laughs> well, you might, but good luck, right? <laughs> right. And, and so and, and then on top of that, I've got thousands of dollars and hours <clears throat> invested in this. And now <clears throat> it means nothing. And I was broken mentally physically uh being very candid i was cast into a a crippling level of depression it just devastated me at a very young age and and still i I consider people most people in their early to mid 20s they're still very formative years as a young adult teenage like yeah yeah especially if you haven't been out on your own right you haven't had doors shut in your face you haven't been treated like this right and um you're being told no you know, by your parents, not, uh, you know, not society, you know? Yeah. Right. And it, it, when, when, when life drops the sledgehammer on you and you've never felt it before, you, you're pro- you probably just don't have the, you don't have the, the chops to come out right. of that. Just no, like with true. your head held high. Yeah. And I didn't. I, so, so, uh, uh there I, I was like honestly like just sleeping all the time it was awful i but i, I realized i was like I, I need to make money i need to keep my head above water so i actually when i went through college through all four years of college i worked at a local wine store uh okay. where i lived with my parents and i, I sold wine i was a cashier did stock cleaned all that stuff um and i i had to go back to that wine store with my tail tucked between my legs and i think i think back to that moment and i I walk in and i hadn't been there in months right and uh my my old boss his name's john lazia a a tremendous guy i don't want to get emotional here but it's a it's a pivotal time in my life when he and he says this following things to me he he sees me walk through the door right and i'm i'm like faking a smile because i'm just trying to keep appearances up and he's like hey dude come on back to the office let's sit down and chat and i think at that point 
he's 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 thinking oh scott's about to tell me how much he loves his new career and and right. all, you know, yeah. all the bad dudes he's busting i'm the greatest cop said, ever i'm robocop oh dude i'm robocop <laughs> yeah yeah dude um and uh and he's like so what's going on and and i i kind of i leveled with him pretty quick and, and i said john i'm i'm hope man i'm i'm flat on my back and i feel worthless it was it was devastating and uh he he just looks back at me kind of stone-faced and it was something to the effect of he goes he kind of disappointed he's like if you don't feel right inside your your heart your chest you you have to make a change and and he goes do you need a job and i said and i was kind of ashamed right but that's what i came in there for effectively Mm -hmm. and i said i said yes and he goes cool you start monday i need you back and i was just so relieved and grateful that this human saw that i was at a very low point he he respected me from all the time i had spent with his company prior to this mm-hmm. supported me when i left and uh and and there i was you know three days later effectively back working at the wine store and i, I had to suck it up right but life is life ain't easy man sometimes you gotta eat shit and and i yeah. did and i got back there I got back there, and, and I, I am getting to answer your question here. But no, you're I just fine. Want you to I, I, I genuinely here. love this. This is great. Yeah, um, cool. I'm glad because it's it's not always uh, it's not always glamorous, but uh, there, you know there I was back working at that wine store. And what's funny about this store, uh, Josh, uh, it's on uh, Mac Avenue in Gross Point Woods. It's called Merchants Fine Wine. It's still still there. <laughs> My grandpa built the building. No kidding. He did, yeah. Back, I think in the probably fifties or sixties, he built it by hand. Wow! Um, and has the has the original tin roof in it. I'm not the tin ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the a lot of the same mortar work that's still there. So it's crazy, right? That's that my, that's my really cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm, I'm back there working. I was making ends meet, and it was okay. But I also knew that <clears throat> I didn't want to be here forever. Right. And I, I, a bit by bit, I was starting to shed the depression. I was getting some semblance of normalcy back, right? And I needed to do something. I, I didn't want to be there forever. I was out of college now. It was time to get a big kid job. Uh, and I had this horrible, I'm going to call it a failure um, in in um, in law enforcement. I'm not ashamed to say it. It was a failure on multiple levels. But I, I bear some of that responsibility. And I, I don't have any, no problem with that. Um and at the time, I was working out at a place called Muscles Gym, this absolute <laughs> hole in the wall. Uh, it was it's it was about twice the size of my apartment, just a total total meathead gym. And I casually knew this guy named Carl that worked out there. Uh, and Carl, I, I would truth be told, I worked out there for a long time, and I would eavesdrop on his conversations with other dudes in the gym. And I knew that I just gathered over time that he worked on the auto show and event circuit with Chrysler. Okay. And how much he loved it. And it just seemed like he's, I would just kind of live vicariously through his stories. You know, I, I travel on the company's dime. I, I, uh, I travel all across the country. I talk about products. I, uh, I work a, you know, a, a fixed schedule. And I come home and it's, it's, it's great. I kind of make my own schedule. It's wonderful. And from time to time, I would start to edge in and chat with him uh, about Chrysler products because that's what my family drove. It's what I drove. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was, I think I was gaining some respect with him over time. And then one day, I, I think I was at the wine store. I said, next time I see Carl, I've got nothing to lose. 
Right. And yeah. I, I, I looked at him one day. We were in between sets, you know, just a couple of barrel chested power lifters. <laughs> uh, uh, and that, I, I was power lifting at the time, but uh, that's another story. Uh, but I looked at him one day and I, I was poised to make a change in my career. And I just asked him, I said, you know, you think I can ever get a chance to get a job like yours? And I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I can, he, he kind of stares off into space for a moment. He's really pondering it. And he's a, he's a fairly soft-spoken guy. He goes, hmm, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and and it, it turns out, he t- starts to tell me more about this job. And I, I learned very quickly, auto show staffs are organized entirely by talent agencies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Carl gave me the direct number of his account manager. I called her the next day, and when I when I got her on the phone, she seemed kind of puzzled, and she goes, Carl sent you my way? And I said, yeah, yeah, Carl. The same Carl that we know? Yeah. She goes, he's worked for me for 10 years, and he's never recommended a single person. I'll meet with you next week. Hmm. So I, I, I get out there the following week. I talked to her with her for maybe 10 minutes. She brings me back a few weeks later to meet with the Chrysler client, the guy that is basically um, – the customer of the agency, right? Who's going to staff this? Mm-hmm. He meets with me. I, I told him about my background and with Carl, and and I got hired. And I, I began my automotive career <laughs> as a as a contractor, as a product specialist for Chrysler, Jeep, and Dodge, uh, starting back in August of '06. Wow. And uh, so I, I, it's a long way to get there, but that's how it happened. And I go to Chrysler World Headquarters there in Auburn Hills uh, in mm-hmm. August to go through product training for an entire week. I was just pinching myself the entire time. I couldn't believe where I was, you know, and, and getting to do this stuff and and starting to cut a new path. And it it's just amazing. And um, I... <laughs> I you, you've heard the term, what a difference a year makes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So... At the Detroit Auto Show in 06, so earlier that year before I started auto shows, right? Mm-hmm. I'm at the Detroit Auto Show at Kobo. I'm there with my, my girlfriend at the time who was in the process of becoming a cop. And uh, she was like my last attachment into law enforcement. And, uh, yeah, she ended up treating me horribly and it was just another extension of law enforcement. So, so I'm there with her. I remember going through the Chrysler display. The one vehicle I remember most from that show was the SRT 10 Ram regular cab short bed. Um, and, and so she's like the last piece of law enforcement. She does me a favor and leaves me behind, which was great. And, and literally a year later, Josh, I would be in that same building, in that same display, working for Chrysler and uh, and doing now something that I loved. So it was the complete opposite of the experience I had um, with law enforcement. And I, I never looked back. And, you know, hindsight being 2020, leaving law enforcement was the best career decision I ever made. And getting into the auto industry has provided uh, a life for myself and and now for my fiance as well and and from there i never took my foot off the accelerator and that led to um, a, a, 
a huge wide range of, of other jobs throughout the auto industry, but I became a mutt from that point forward and, and from all the way there to where I sit today. So, you know, from there, if you've got questions about my career, I can fill the holes from 06 <laughs> to now, but that's my very long winded uh, answer to your, to your question. But, you know, you never know where life is going to end up, where it's going to direct you and something that you set out to do in the first place, you might end up doing something that, you never even thought of but see i think and and the reason why i I do love your story is because so many people that i've had on a podcast between you know johnny lieberman jeff musual um you know even myself as as the creator of raw autos and you know john pearly huffman all Mm -hmm. so many of these people i've talked to it's the same thing we've all been in a position where we were depressed we hated it we hated that life that we were in and we wanted to get out of it we we wanted to do something we loved and we got into cars. And I, in fact, I just talked about this on one of my recent podcasts of just, you know, me rambling about raw autos and, and it's, it is true. You have to, you have to basically be pulled through that shit, right? Through all that crap. You have to be yeah. slogged through it and to f- kind of find yourself. But it is also refreshing because I had a similar situation where I was in college didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, had no idea where I was going. And I talked to, I was hanging out with a family friend of ours at a big 4th of July picnic that some friends of ours always threw at the beach. And I was talking to this family friend who was a, this massively successful attorney, really great guy, still love him to this day, you know, and we're sitting down talking and he just looks at me and he goes, dude, you look so unhappy. I was like, well, you know, I'm just in college, just doing my thing. And he was, what the hell are you doing? You're wasting your time. You're wasting your parents' money. What are you doing? What, what, yeah. do, you, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do something with cars. He said, then go sell cars. Go sell cars. Just start something in cars. If you want to be in cars, be in cars. Stop wasting yeah. your life. And it was that weird moment because he told me, he said, look, if I didn't have to go through law school to become a lawyer, I sure as hell wouldn't have gone through law school to become a lawyer. <laughs> he's like, mm-hmm. I, he's like, honestly, I didn't even care. He said, but I became a lawyer because I wanted to become a lawyer. And, you know, he's very successful. He's very good at his job. And, and, mm-hmm. and, but it was just, it was just that attitude where he was like, why are you wasting away doing something you don't want to do? If you don't want to be in college, don't be in college. And yeah. so it, literally three days later, I went and applied for a job as a car salesman and got it, you know, and yeah. then that led me to, to realize <clears throat> I really want to test cars. I want to play because my, my bosses told me that, Hey, you're the most car, you know, fanatic. We know, you know, you're the biggest car guy we know. So what we want you to do is we want you to map out a, like a driving circuit essentially on the road, uh, for all of the new Mazdas. Okay. We want you to, to, literally map out where we drive these cars um, for our new salespeople and people that are going to buy them. And I was like, okay, great. So my, my job to, you know, as a salesperson was even to anybody new that we were thinking about hiring, taking them on our drive route in various Mazdas, showing them what the Mazdas can do. And I remember one of my most, you know, crazy moments was a brand new CX nine packed Every seat was filled with new salespeople, right? And I am completely sideways on this uh, on-ramp on the highway. I mean, completely sideways coming onto the <laughs> on-ramp. Okay. And I'm like, this is, you know, this is what you you got to understand about Mazda. And I'm showing them, you know, turning rate, you know, all these different things, right? I'm doing all this crazy stuff in it, you know? 
But I realized then I was like, oh, I need to I need to test cars. I need to play with cars. This is what I love. This is what I want to yeah. do. But it's those moments where you have that one person I feel like that's like, you know, stop wasting yourself. You know, and it's 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 embarrassing at first, but then it's that nice feeling where somebody understands, somebody gets you, you know. They they get that you're young and that you're dumb and you need to go through life, you know. Yeah. So the fact that you had that is is incredibly liberating. But it's also a, a treat to listen to because, you know, I have a similar experience. But also, I hope that other people, when they listen to this, that it's never too late to enjoy your life, you know, to find what you want to do. And if you want to be in the automotive industry, you can do it. It's, yeah, you can. It's a fun, fun industry. They always say don't meet your heroes. But every hero I've met in the automotive industry has been great. Yeah, yeah. It's... um. It, it's funny you mentioned that, right? Um, I, I would I would probably ask you back uh, a question on how you get your press cards and whatnot because I used to be part of that. But when you're when you're discussing heroes, um, when I was part of uh, PR and media fleet operations mm-hmm. uh, at a company called ESI, I don't know if you were oh, yeah, familiar yeah, with yeah. ESI. ESI so yeah. They're no longer anymore, and I can certainly go into my time on that if if you want. But I like would love the to, uh, yeah. the. Uh, I remember going, starting to work with the press and then going to my first big auto show and being there during press days and literally being around people that I viewed as heroes of mine. <laughs> right. Um, cause I, I mean, I was a, I was a motor trend subscriber as early as like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And then, then working with the automotive media was, it was so cathartic and then being shoulder to shoulder with some of these people and they don't know it, but these are, you are my inspiration. You are one of the reasons right. I am here. You're and fangirling I, I, inside, you know, you're just, <laughs> Oh dude, it's you're, you're, you're not kidding. Right. You're so starstruck the yeah. way of the way, uh, a teenage girl would be back in the day with Britney Spears and yep. Christina Aguilera. Right. And, yep. but now you can't let on that much, but when you do, you, you know, a lot of times journalists are just not, uh, they're not used to that kind of fame. No. Right. So when you, <laughs> when you, when you express that to them, you got to be careful to kind of meter it out. But, um, yeah, I mean, some of my, some of my heroes in the, in the automotive, uh, press are, uh, very impactful. I mean, there there are some great, great people in the media that I know or that I uh, aspire to to meet one day in person. I mean, there's just some magical people. And it kind of it kind of puts interesting things in perspective. I don't know if you've felt this way, but you know, you 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 hold these people up on a pedestal. You you see them as as heroic, and you you read their stuff. You know, over the years, and sure, and you first meet them, and you realize that. 99.9% of them are just regular average Joes trying to make a living, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. in the automotive industry, none of us are rich. <laughs> none of us are, you know, I mean, some of us have more money than others, but the, in, in reality, it's just a bunch, it's a group of people who just love cars who are pretty nerdy and geeky about cars in one way or another. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. And you realize very quickly, everybody in that room is really very much the same. You know, you have your little toils and you have, oh, I don't like this person or that person. You know, you have all that just like anywhere else. But realistically, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's just a bunch of random people that just love cars, you know? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, the the, the culture within the industry, um, it's far and wide, but it's an extremely uh, tight-knit, 
uh, everyone is, you know, one degree of separation away mm-hmm. and, uh, and everyone's accessible now, especially. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, there's, I could go through any number of people that, uh, are, are my inspiration on the journalist side. I mean, who are, who are some of your favorite writers? Who are some of your people that you, that you uh, admire so much? Well, obviously I know you listen to the Lieberman podcast. Of course, John, sure. was, you know, Johnny was a, a big, a big force of nature with that. You know, of course, Matt Farrow was a big force of nature of that Mike Spinelli. Yep. And then, but going back farther than that, you know, David E. Davis was, was one of my favorites. I mean, it was just like, my I had an older brother who was eight years older than me, and um, or I still have him. But <laughs> but when I was a kid, uh, I just used to sit over his shoulder, and, and he would read me everything. So when I was you know six, eight, ten years old, he would read me all this stuff and tell me what torque was, and you know why why it was important for horsepower at a certain RPM versus horsepower at another RPM was better or worse, you know. Right. Yep. Um, and and he taught me all of that. And so my brother and I were fascinated by old car magazines. We loved classic cars and stuff like that. So I don't know how we found it, but we were in this, we were on a family trip somewhere, which was rare because we didn't really do anything as a family. My dad, my dad owned a corporate travel agency, so he always traveled. So he hated traveling, you know? Um, and so we were doing something and we went into this. My brother Jason found this archive of all these car magazines in this in this place. I don't I can't even remember what the hell it was. <clears throat> we walk in and he and I are it's just a treasure trove. We are pulling out these these library style bins and, and rifling through these magazines and picking them all out and you know buying them. Our parents are buying them for us. And I mean these are magazines from the sixties, seventies, eighties. And so, you know, of course, I'm I'm reading Don Sherman, you know, from 10, 12 mm-hmm. years old. You know, I'm looking at this, I, you know, Brock Yates. Of course, I had seen Cannonball Run. So to even read the stories to begin with, you know, you know, because I, I, I love those guys. And, and even, mm-hmm. to, you know, to think about Gene Jennings, what she has done for the industry. You know, yep. I was like, sorry, oh sorry for the sirens in the background. Oh, no, you're, you're fine. You're sorry. fine. I don't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. And uh, but yeah, no, that was those were some of my favorites. And I've gotten to meet a few of them, but I, I never got to meet David E. Davis. But I do know his son, Matt Davis, very well. <laughs> um, and uh, I've always joked that Matt is my is my uh, my real father. Um, so Matt and I have a you know a very good relationship. In fact, Matt, for years when he was a journalist, um when I first created Raw Autos, I don't know why he did it, but he would actually send me articles that he had written for other bigger publications and write them obviously a little bit differently for Raw Autos. And he went under a name called uh, Billy Snap McGillicuddy. And he would send me these articles on all these various cars that he had tested from the launches in Europe and in America and whatever, all around the world. Yep. And he would just give me these free of charge. Would wow. would let me post them on Raw Autos, um, and just so I had more content and the ability to to have more credibility when when going after press cars. That's great! How how extremely generous, huh? Right, right. When so you you more, think more more cop more copy on the on the site to to build up the the uh, the views. I'm sure to yeah. to you know and then you have more kpis that you can take to the manufacturer to the pr department say hey here's the kind of traffic i'm seeing right exactly so you know it's and and i was a you know a young man by comparison i I still to this day still don't know why he did it 
but he he was always very generous that way. And oh, I've, had, cool. I've had so many people be generous with their time and, you know, with their, their knowledge and, and whatever. What, who are some of your favorites? Uh, there's a lot. Um, just because I've been exposed to so many of them, you know, in person. And then mm-hmm. obviously I still follow the industry very closely because I, I thrive on those kinds of stories, especially my own products. Um, I mean, if we're, I think the the very very best in the business is Chris Harris. Of course, um, yeah. I I just don't think there's a true equal out there. Um, I I don't I don't know that I've really read any of his print work, but I, on camera, I, I just don't know of an equal. I mean, the the dude's obviously so passionate, uh, expert driver, yeah, race car driver. Um, his his turn of phrase, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just like. Uh, things that stick out in my mind right like when he's talking about paddle shift and he talks about grabbing a spaniel's ear <laughs> to shift or or uh yeah. uh not to get down on my fiance's cars at all and uh, you, you might have questions about what she does but uh the mclaren senna when he described it as quote-unquote looking like a dog's <laughs> dinner um you know it's just it's kind of off the wall stuff but it it sends a message right the uh I always learn something from that dude too. So his, his videos are always very good. I think he's, he, one of his reviews is the best car review I've ever seen. And I don't want you to think just cause it's an AMG is why I picked you're it. Gonna it say, is you're going to say the G63, aren't you? It's that's a good one, but <laughs> no, the, the E63 S sedan review he did. Oh, that's a it's great one, one. Yeah, it is. It is. It's one of those really rare times at least from my perspective where you've got this top gun journalist completely immersed in a car that he's genuinely blown away by yeah as as he should be with that car because it is mind-boggling it's epic but it is a truly epic car and he you know he's comparing it to old m cars or even old amgs and and He's just talking about how it makes the Audi equivalents feel slow. And he's like, I just said, the Audi feels slow. And that's a fast car, <laughs> right? But it's the perfect review. And I have probably shared that video link with my dealers more than anything else from the press. Because mm-hmm. that, like, if you watch that and you don't want to go buy an E63, uh, there's just something wrong with you. But uh, so there's that. So Chris Harris, definitely. And you brought up Lieberman. I'm a huge, huge Lieberman fan. Um, listen to him on your podcast. I listened to him on the Smoking Tire one uh, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. He is he's such a great character, um, and I mean that in a in a positive way. Not that right. he's like some kind of cartoon character. He's just <laughs> a great character for the business. Um, I, I don't I don't remember or know certainly in today's world another single American auto journalist that has built the following that dude has, especially in the digital age. Um, he's such a neat guy. It is interesting. I, I, he's also a cheerleader for, I mean, he, like when I think of motor trend, I only like, I mean, of course I know Edward Lowe, you know, as the editor yeah. in chief, I, you know, I know these people, but, and, and, you know, but he is the embodiment of motor trend. When I think about motor trend, no when question. I see the magazine, I think, Oh, Johnny's in there. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was a motor trend fanboy. Like, I, I know the default, I think, for, for most enthusiasts is to say car and driver is the best. And certainly See, that's they my, are. That's my default from, you know, when I was a kid, only because I read, I got a chance to read the magazines from the 70s and, and stuff like that. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And, 
and and certainly they can lay claim to that and and i love their work it's amazing but what motor trend has done digitally for, for me personally their video work is second to none um johnny's a huge part of that mm -hmm. and i was i was motor trend was what i was first attracted to so it's kind of like your first love right you'll never forget it and the motor trend has has remained my my number one um and and certainly lieberman has uh, has solidified that um you know i like that he, he no secret he calls it like he sees it right mm -hmm. um i like that approach it's very i think it's that straightforward demeanor that he has that's been very appealing mm -hmm. and above all else he makes himself accessible he does uh, he, com he, does, he yeah. communicates he communicates more than some entire publications right oh, absolutely and uh you know i i say this affectionately it's it can kind of be live by the sword and die by the sword with him because if, <laughs> if you guys are on the same wavelength, man, he'll cozy right up. Uh, and if he doesn't agree with you, man, he will eviscerate you. Uh, and uh, separately, I am the world's biggest Van Halen fan, and he <laughs> vehemently hates them. And I posted a picture right. the other day. I was I had two game used. Picks. That, yeah, which, yeah. by the way, both of those are game used by Edward Van Halen. The wow. one on the left, I was given, he, he threw it to me at a show in New Jersey. And that one from the 51, it says 5150 mm -hmm. on it, is from uh, 1985, caught by my fiance's stepdad and wow. given to me. That's cool. Um, but anyways, that picture, I did not post that up there <laughs> for Mr. Lieberman to to cut me down. <laughs> Uh, but he but he sure did <laughs> and uh but honestly despite that spat and he's horribly wrong uh on it and i'll stand behind that uh i'm a, I'm a big fan of the dude i i think he has uh i think he's he's not just furthering the uh motor trend he's furthering car culture and he uh he, I, I, he I appeals to so ethic. many random people on every side yeah. you know he, yeah oh my god he and i have had our our interesting arguments over the years one was uh, i actually got an email uh or multiple email from people uh congratulating me for standing tall uh and not buckling uh because not that they you know agreed or disagree but they were just surprised that it went back and forth for about, I think, about five or six comments. So I was saying that Pirelli tires were not as good as Michelin's. Um, because at the time, I had just changed from Pirelli to Michelin for my personal Mustang. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that I one of my big things was that the, the Pirelli's had given up in 17,500 miles, and I hadn't done a burnout yet. I was very angry with that. Mm -hmm. and, I said, uh, um, and I said, you know, like if somebody spits on the ground my car is getting sideways, you know, just if the rear tire hits it, you know? Yep. And he's like, Oh, well, you know, I had Pirelli's on this Porsche in the snow and it was great. And I said, uh, well, I disagree as somebody who's owned the Mustang, you know, with Pirelli's, I did not like them on the Mustang. And he said, uh, he just commented back, said, see above. And I said, I commented back, see above your comment. Um, and then we just went back and forth for like five or six comments. See above, see above, see above. And that's just how it went. And we've done that, I don't know how many times now at this point. Um, like he was talking about how much he loved the BMW 8 Series. And I said, yes, I agree with Jason Camisa that it is the best Buick that BMW make. 
<laughs> and he said, uh, my dad has an M850, so that's why I believe that. <clears throat> and he said, it's not an effing Buick. And uh, I said, well, you know, I kind of disagree. But it's, but he is that he's a captivating character because no matter your disagreements with him, yeah. he's entertaining as hell. And he's great for, for the sure. industry. He's fantastic for oh, the industry. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um He's uh, he's he's a neat guy, uh, but he's gonna you know he's if if he ever listens to this, which he probably won't because he always says he goes on podcasts but won't listen to them. <laughs> if he if he heard us, he'd, he'd go all right. Enough talking about me, right, so, yeah. so stop. And 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 you know what? We will. So uh, <laughs> other, I mean, if if you want to keep going on no, journalists, please. yeah, go right ahead. So most recently, um, I, I've taken an interest in the the most loathed full-size pickup truck in the full-size segment now the uh the new silverado <laughs> uh i saw one the other day and it was a it was a trail boss the dude had it lifted and on wheels it looked incredible so i started researching it and uh that and then i saw a new uh hyundai palisade oh yeah yeah, yeah. And I thought, I was like, man, that thing looks incredible. I, yeah. I haven't seen something quite like that. So listen, I, I got online. I started researching both of them just to learn more about them. And uh, um, I saw two videos, uh, respectively, for each product. Mm -hmm. And I think it was uh, Micah, Micah Muzio. Who's from from Kelly Blue Book? I think. Oh, from Kelly Blue. Okay, I was like, wait. Yeah, the, he's the one that's the dude that's got the helicopter. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. and yeah. then uh, and uh, Lynn Lynn Woodward, I think. Okay. They both did. They one did Palisade, one did Silverado, and they both came across as some of the most relatable people. Mm -hmm. uh, both had they were really nice voices, uh, comfortable on camera. I, I, they, it just felt like wholesome watching them right. and uh, that I think that's what you want in a car review and it's good camera work nice clean transitions and uh, I liked that a whole lot so they they were really neat um, um, I, I I've, I've known their work collectively but um, you know those just kind of stick out recently and then like people that I I know well in the industry are you like you know Peter DiLorenzo I do yeah auto extremist okay yeah. so that's my that is my favorite old school guy yeah i used to deliver cars to him quite a lot to his house oh really I, oh yeah all the time uh we see we, just behind the scenes we called him d-lo um <laughs> but his he, uh his commentary on the industry you know it's so raw it's it so is. unsanitized it is i i i think what he's pro he's really best at right um he knows all the old guard ways of the big three. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and he, you know, he, he, <clears throat> he, like the old habits die hard kind of mentality. He praises the good things that he sees and just goes right after the bad stuff, the bad habits. And he doesn't hold back. And I just really respect him. I've always enjoyed his perspective. Uh, he's great. I, I still read his stuff anytime he posts, Auto extremist is, yeah. is usually a really good uh, overview of what what's really going on on the ground. I always love this stuff because one of the things that um, 
when I first started, I always had, you know, these, these very kind of hardened opinions. And, that, and part of that was because I'd been in, you know, in the dealer world, you know, and I had, we've known dealers for years in my family. And, and so I kind of saw the world from a dealer side, which is, which can be a harsh, uh, unforgiving side of the car. Industry, very much so. You know, very much so. Yeah. Very cynical. Um, you know, a, there can be some serious hot takes that just are like not appreciated, you know? Um, yeah. But it's, and so when I first started doing this and I, I first started reading uh, uh, Peter as well around that time, I was like, oh, yes, yeah, somebody who has kind of that real nitty gritty down in the dirt, six feet under opinion, you know, yeah. in the sense of like, it's, it's never going to die and he's trying to bring it back to the surface so people yeah. see. And, and that was one of the big things that I said that I've always I've always said that we needed to give the big three, you know, money to survive if need be, um, mm -hmm. you know, the bailouts and stuff. And, and, but the one thing I said was that we just have to make sure we massage the industry to move, you know, uh, kind of, um, to ebb and flow in a better way than it had been in the past, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, because now, I mean, you look at, you look at the automotive industry and, and you're, you see this with Mercedes Benz and of course the BMW, very American, you know, uh, companies these days, you know, Honda, uh, I mean, hell Honda created Acura as an American car company, you mm -hmm. know, infinity, uh, you see Subaru, you see car company, Toyota, uh, uh, I mean, Lexus, Lexus was built for this Lexus market. was built for this, exactly. Ed Locus, right. who is the, the guy, um, Ed Locus is the head of marketing for Toyota. Right. And okay. I was at, uh, I was at a Toyota Corolla launch and, and somebody asked him, what do you think about the big three not selling cars anymore? And he said, well, I don't have a problem with, with owning 100% of the sedan market. <laughs> and you know, it, it's that, you know, there are car companies that are very, becoming very American, you know, and it's, I think Peter's had a, you know, a great, <clears throat> great set of opinions on the big three for many years of like, yeah. Look, if you're not going to get your shit together, you know, it's 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 high time that you will fail. And it's yeah. it's sad. I don't want to see it, of course, but No, and I we're, we're not we're, I don't think there's any threat of that, but you know, no, something deal around but yeah. Something Peter talks about, I'm sure you're familiar with the term is this the the true believers at a car company, yes. right? Yeah. When you got these mammoth mammoth car companies, the big 3s, right? With you know, tens of thousands of people on staff. Mm -hmm. uh, and for, I'm sure all great purposes, all of them, but De Lorenzo boils it down, right, to there are those handful of people um, <laughs> that th those tribal people that are really the ones turning the gears, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. when the decisions need to be made and the ones that are, are fighting tooth and nail with product planning to get stuff pushed through that will make an impact on cars. I mean, I know those kinds of people when i worked with chrysler i was very close still am with several individuals that are some of the most talented people i wouldn't even say just in the industry but in the world i mean there are a couple of people that are just through they are people that move the needle at mm -hmm. chrysler mm -hmm. that are without them they, they'd be lost and They're uh in the so that yeah, totally, yeah. totally. They, yeah. they 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 know the pulse of the customer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They are artisans, uh, be it from the design or the engineering standpoint. So yeah, like, there's for them, it's a different business. You know, it's a 
you know, you, you have, and, and, you know, I, I talk to PR people all over the, all over the world with car companies and I love, I love public relations people that I, that I know personally, but there is a, there are two different, you know, sets of viewpoints for those, those select few that really have to, you know, to, to pilot the ship in a sense, so to speak behind the scenes versus what, you know, has to be told on the surface. You know, it's, and not to not to say that any car company is like the Titanic, but it is kind of like the Titanic of like, okay, well, let's do our best in here. Let's tell the passengers this, and you know, and it it is a it's a different. There are two different businesses there, you know, and not that not that anybody's lying or that anybody's bad, but you know, there are two different uh, two different types of people in those car companies, you know, well, multiple different yeah. types, but you know what I mean. I don't think that one's you know, necessarily, I don't want to say that one's more important than the other though, because, you know, when you think about it, to me, all roads lead to the dealership Right. Uh, for for every, every single thing done in the industry leads to the stores. Mm -hmm. So what those great designers and engineers and whatever they've done, that stuff has, has that ship has sailed right Right. now. You got to, you got to play, but on the PR side, uh, and the media, what's told in the in the press, what you would review in a car, Josh. I mean, that's that's equally important, really, when it mm-hmm. all washes out in the end, right? Because c- consumers not going to meet the designer, but no. they, they're going to read they're going to read what you felt about the car in fifteen hundred words. Mm-hmm. And if you you know if you paint an ugly picture, it doesn't matter what the uh, what the designer did at that point. But right. you know, I, so that's what I'm kind of getting at there. But yeah, I mean, there's just. It, it takes all kinds. It takes a lot of different, but yeah, De Lorenzo's uh, true believer He's, statement is it is it is a very important and very poignant. And I've always said that you know my job as somebody who reviews cars isn't to, as much as I love the people in the automotive industry, mm-hmm. my job is at the end of the day to the customer to know to to have an understanding of what they should or should not spend their hard earned dollars on. Because I think of mm-hmm. it as a, as a car salesman, I don't want to sell somebody a car in my car review. What I want them to do is to go, Ooh, this sounds pretty good. I think I'm going to go drive that and check it out. But yeah, I also always, it, it goes to your statement of all roads lead to the dealership. And because me personally, I love car dealers. I have no problems going into buying a car. I love that experience personally. Yeah. I think it's yep. fun. You know, I enjoy new people. I enjoy opinions. I enjoy, you know, chit chatting obviously. And, but it's, I always tell people when they're going to buy a car, okay, list the cars you don't want or the brands you don't want. Okay. Now that you've done that, go drive those cars first. Because you're going to find something about that car that you end up liking more than the car you knew that you would like better. Mm -hmm. And it's now going to change your, your value on it. So I think that having your, having you on, you know, from a, a, a perspective of working with dealers, giving them coursework is so brilliantly and important, uh, and utterly important to how the dealers relate to the customers, right? And how yeah. they can actually, how you know, because my job is to get the customers, you know, at the doors, so to speak. You know, not that mm-hmm. any car company is paying me, but my job is to tell people what's what's good and bad. Right. And then your job is to then take everything and make the dealer more relatable to the customer with the product. For sure. And so, sure. I mean, you have an extremely important role to play i mean arguably just as important if not more important than any role i play so Um, 
yeah. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. You're fine. Cause I was basically done there. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think to build on that point, listen, um, I want to say this. Um, it's all right. The, we, we are, I kind of view ourselves as like the last line of defense, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and from the, from a last line of defense or offense, however you want to look at it, you know, you got all these efforts to put, to get bodies to go to the dealers. Mm-hmm. And our goal is to leave that lasting impression uh, and, and effectively have them parrot. Right. I mean that figuratively what we tell them mm-hmm. uh, because we, we are giving them like the brass tacks on this car, what it does, how it does it. Here are concrete examples to help customers understand the technology. You know, you might not be able to go real granular on some buyers. You might lose them in the weeds if you try to take <laughs> it from a, right. from a, a real mechanical perspective, but Hey, uh, you know, let's look at, let's look at twin scroll turbochargers like this. Let's look, you know, mm-hmm. give a real world example, help them understand it so that when they convey that to the customer, it's like, Oh, now the light bulb goes on. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now I get it. And this person, not only, <clears throat> not only like if a customer's thinking about a sales consultant, this person not only cares about the car I'm looking at, but they're they're They care about how I, how I can understand it better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and really how I'm getting the value out of a car. So, you know, all, all, again, all roads lead to the dealership, right? Um, mm-hmm. If you think about it, um, I, I could do the best possible training in, in my capability. You, you, Josh, could write the best story ever about one of my vehicles. Mm-hmm. We can run the best advertising. We can have the most talented designers and engineers like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. They can put the best features in a car, but no one in that chain of people that I just described from you and me down to the engineers, no one in that chain can take a check from a customer. Right. And you've got to end up in a store to either buy your car and or get it serviced. And these dealers are are you know, in virtually every spot of the business, they are spending huge amounts of time, you know, away from their families, long mm-hmm, hours mm-hmm. promoting and selling a brand. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, 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 t- I take it back almost to what you t- described with your dad, the experience with the GT. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest reasons you buy a Mercedes, right. Is because our dealers care about you mm-hmm. uh they they want that yeah they want to sell you a product just like anybody else they got to make money they got to put food on the table but most importantly after they sell you know, a car that's not the end of the relationship no right um they they follow up if you call there's someone there mm-hmm. they take a, a very much vested interest in our products and our customers they love the training um that star carries tremendous weight and and, you know, with, specifically with AMG customers, right? You have to cater to them. Yeah, right. They're, they're gonna, they they have the money, they have the time to take long the buying process. They yep. will go out. There's plenty of good cars in our in every segment we play in. Mm-hmm. Um, their expectations are extremely high. They're spending huge amounts of money, and that experience oh, yeah. has to be commensurate with it. So, again, I, I'd, I'd buy a car from any of my stores. Um, these are some of the most resilient 
talented, respectful people I know. I mean, that is well. Each one of your amazing. salespeople has to be ten people in one. They have to be. They have to know what the journalists have said. <clears throat> they have to know what you've said. They have to know yep. what the engineers done, the designers done, the executives. Have, they have to. They have to have six or twelve different um, pieces of knowledge and be one yeah. person. Financial advisor, psychiatrist. Exactly. Well, Uh, yeah, that was a weird role that I didn't realize I'd take on as a car salesman looking at somebody's credit going, well, here's, here's how, and I, I, I started researching how people, especially first time buyers and stuff like that, or people with bad credit, how they could, you know, get their credit up. So what was I doing as a dealer? I was starting to give some advice and give some tips and also give them, you know, like little articles that I've read. Oh, here you go. You know, here's a good article. You know, here's Mm -hmm. a, this is from, you know, a reputable company that's talking about this with your credit. You know, we, we, I saw crazy things. I saw a kid 18 years old come in to buy a car from us and his, his father, he was a junior. His father had stolen his credit. His father, really? Yes, his father had um, had a uh, uh, he had what two cars and a bunch of appliances on his eighteen-year-old son's uh, credit. So, when you're sitting there and you're, I was only twenty-one when I was selling cars. And I'm talking to this 18 year old kid, and he's on the phone with his dad crying. How could you do this to me? You've ruined my life. Sure, yeah, you know? really. And so it's you know you when you're a salesperson, you have to you have to be a little bit of everything, you know. Um, yeah. And here I was counseling an 18 year old kid when I'm just three years older than he is, for God's sake. Yeah, and you guys are not that far apart. No, right? Yeah. So, um, thanks, Dad. Yeah, right. Oh my, it was crazy. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It was some crazy yeah. times, but with with all of the product knowledge that you have and mm-hmm. how how much testing are you actually able to do with the with the AMG products before you work with the dealers on them before you build your courses uh, so when you say testing what do you mean well just you know the driving the using playing around with it you know how much how much time goes into <clears throat> you um, you learning it yourself before you go and teach others so to speak okay that's fair so any kind of quote-unquote testing that I do is very different from what I did at ESI. Right. So, like, proper vehicle testing is just not my job anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, I do get advanced products all the time at MBUSA. Okay. Um, so that's all in the pursuit of getting them to the dealer really as, as quickly as possible ahead of the launch, mm-hmm. ahead mm-hmm. of the wholesale. Um, they're our most direct customer. So we owe them the products as early as possible. And sometimes that does involve test drives for them. Um, but we're there to sell them on the car and still instill a level of confidence in them mm-hmm. so that when your know, customers start knocking on the door, um, they're ready to, to, you know, tell that vehicle story. And, you know, for, for some of, some of our cars at both Benz and AMG, for that matter, we were getting customer interest in cars sometimes, years before launch mm-hmm. right so uh, i'm taking uh, i i'm taking a car to them as early as possible i'll get as much time as i possibly can with it sometimes that can be weeks sometimes that might be one day before i'm live with a car in a store okay. it just to- totally depends on when our vehicles get built when they get shipped to us um you know if there's re- uh if there's quality holds on them and that, you know, that delays them getting to us. And that certainly happens on a pre-production car. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's kind of, it's very variable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, uh, I, I get as much time as I possibly can with them before I, I go to a store. Well, cause you and I are uh, old enough to remember when in the days when a lot of specialty German cars that came into <laughs> the United States, we used to have like a one year, uh, like lull between the time that they were available in Europe and the time they were available here. And Mm -hmm. now they're available here basically as soon as they come off the factory floor, you know, and so that can happen that way that that, there it's all, there's also a flip side to that coin as well. So, I mean, yeah, I mean that, that can happen where, um, you know, more specifically like the GLE or GLS products Mm -hmm. being that they're built here, we, we can get those usually, uh, the, the quickest of yeah. any market in the in the world, but you know, um, cars that are built in Germany, they'll they'll likely get them first in Europe, and then they trickle over to us in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, our vehicles are built to a U.S. specification too, so sometimes that requires additional uh, prep work on the cars that mm-hmm. are. Uh, and our vehicle prep changes, centers. Right? Emissions changes or you know, like our bumper changes right. based on right. crash laws. Um, you know, so I, again, it's totally variable uh, as to when we might see a vehicle on the ground or how much testing I do with it. I, I have a GLE 53 coupe right now. Um, and that vehicle won't be out till probably middle of summer ish. Okay. Um, depending if everything stays on track, you know, obviously everything's subject to change right now for every car company's launching vehicles. But, mm-hmm. um, I've had this one for, I've actually had this one for a couple months now, but I, I've just been in the, I've been stay at home. So I've had plenty of time with it. <laughs> right. And, um, and that's, uh, this would be the most lead time I'll have ever had with a car before I go into a store with it for sure. This so, you know, with all the AMG, you have the GLE 53. There's a, you know, there are 43s, 53s, 63s. And of course there right. used to be 65s. And I, I've, yep. I've said for a while now that I believe the going to that approach on having more um, early entry or young entry AMG models, I thought was very smart for you guys to do. Uh, I thought it was a it was a nice thing because me personally, I I don't like seeing AMG and M and S badges on cars that just don't have that ethos. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. sure. So I prefer to see something that's that's actually more massaged by you know amg or m or you know rs or whatever you know yeah so i i like that approach uh of course you still have the amg sport packages for your cars for the for the regular mercedes models but i love the the amg approach because Mm -hmm. even my dad over the years when he's looked at amg products for himself he's like i just don't need that much power you know i don't need Mm -hmm. that much car and so now, as uh, he's 69, um, and so now when he looks at the products, and you know, that's actually, I, I think that's pretty good. That's a, you know, that's a nice AMG car that's not too crazy, you know. it's Yeah. But it's still an AMG, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they are, so uh, G- GLE 53, or the 43 before it, technically, mm-hmm. the GLE 43 Coupe, and consequently the 53 will be as well in coupe form is the best-selling amg in the united states is um, it really i didn't so know that it, it, it is yeah uh we, we sell thousands of these every year and um it's a very appealing vehicle so you're right the, the middle ground cars 
with the the AMG uh, the entry performance products with a AMG enhanced engine, not a not a hand built engine underneath right. the hood. Um, they're certainly more affordable. Um, they're they're still very powerful. Uh, great everyday cars, mm-hmm. a, a little bit less ragged edge, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. like some of our hand-built engine cars would be. Um, and and frankly, you know, for, for the diehards that would say, oh, it's not a real AMG, that that's fine. They can still have that. Um, they can still have that perspective. I just tell them, don't buy an AMG enhanced car. Right. You go, you know, buck up the cash and go get a hand-built car. We still make cars that are, are absolutely ferocious and will tear your face off. Right. <laughs> um, so we've still got those. So don't worry about that, but you just you make sure you bring a checkbook I and mean, put your money where your mouth is at. <laughs> but the, the 43 and 53 cars and now the 35s that we have, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've had them on track. They're brilliant. They do a really, really nice job. Um, and, and frankly, They've helped AMG grow to new lengths. Um, you know, AMG has grown year after year for, for many years in a row now. The, the United States market is the number one selling market in the world for AMG. Uh, we outsell China. We outsell Germany. Outsell Japan. It's yeah. uh, AMG. Uh, USA loves AMG. Um, we can sold, we, say? we oh, can't oh, get enough of big things with lots of power. What can we say? Lots of power, <laughs> lots of power, lots of grunt, big noise. Oh man, great um, noises! Yeah, I mean, uh, arguably the best thing about buying an AMG is how it sounds, right? Very I mean, we've got. So. Uh, I, I would argue some of the best exhaust systems in the in the entire industry, and uh, yeah, I mean, forty three, fifty three, thirty five products. Uh, we just did that track event at Barber, mm-hmm. and we had our uh, CLA 35 on track. And absolutely, you know, the, the 45 uh, is just a kick-your-teeth-in car. <laughs> the 35, though, I would argue was probably the biggest surprise of the group. And we had it out on track with the, the 45, the new gen, the outgoing generation 45 so therefore the the first gen and then we also had the audi s3 and rs3 and uh the, the 35 model i would argue was the car that surprised everyone the most and while it's a bit more of a muted car at idle when you get it above four grand and and really wring its neck man it spits and snarls and it handles well it's got a great interior um big brakes a standard equipment so yeah, I mean these AMG enhanced products will continue to uh, to be a significant part of our portfolio, and and frankly, we wouldn't be at the sales volume, um, and our dealers wouldn't be selling the kind of cards they are now w- without them. It, it, in order to exist, I think and and prosper, you got to have those cars. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you you know? have to have you have to have a. It, this is going to sound weird, but but car dealerships have to be like a grocery store, you know. Um, you have to have something that everybody likes. You know, not everybody likes the same brand of cereal or the same type of cereal. So you got to have a little something for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and also, look, we've seen it in today's market where you got to kind of throw twenty out there to see what twelve or fifteen survive. You know, what you know, just in in this world, in this sales world, <clears throat> there are going to be great cars out there, and car companies are trying to push as many great products out there as possible. Because people want as much as possible, <laughs> it's it's crazy. And I'm also yeah. some I'm, I'm I've been uh, polishing up my uh, video script for my uh, Ford Ranger review that I have, and uh, mm-hmm. 
one of the things I, I talk about in there is that yes, forty-five thousand dollars is expensive for a truck because uh, it was a forty-five, almost forty-six thousand dollar truck. But I talk about it kind of like uh, being a you know a little bit of a, a luxury car with some of the the comfort and amenities it has. And and I'm I'm working on the script and I in part of the script I say that uh, you know I know what you're saying. You know, like right now you're looking at me going, Josh. You know, nobody is going to buy a Ford Ranger instead of a BMW. You know, because a Ford is not luxury like a BMW or Mercedes. And I said, and I say in the script, yes, but 10 years ago, we would have never seen, you know, a, a baby AMG, you know, being able to compete with a Corvette or a Porsche, you know, in a straight line. And I'm talking about the CLA 45 AMG, which, you know, years ago when it first came out, could hit 60 in under four seconds. Yeah. So, th- yeah, they were, they were rated at 4.1. Uh, on paper, but uh, we were seeing some people hitting three eight three nine with that car, which is the new one. Amazing. The new one's even faster, um, and really just polishes. It. it took what was a really good car, actually, which it, the, the old CLA forty five, uh, just a a monster autocross car. In mm-hmm. fact, we we used that car a lot in autocross at the driving academy, but the new one just kind of sharpens the saw. Um, over the, over the old car, and if you kind of add up the the tail of the tape, the new car just, as, as any new generation vehicle should, piece by piece puts a takes a good car and makes it even greater. So yeah, the new CLA forty five is just a it's a brute force. It was got three hundred eighty two horse out of a two liter four banger, which is crazy. Um, that's it's a hundred ninety one horsepower per liter, which is <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm keeping my my brand head on. That's more than a Bugatti Chiron, right? With a yeah, with an eight liter yeah. uh, uh, sixteen cylinder more horsepower per liter at least. So it, it's just mind boggling what we're able to extract out of such a small space now. Well, and I think about it this way: I my daily driver is a GT three fifty. And yeah. So I have a sixty-ish thousand dollar, five hundred and twenty-six horsepower. You know, I call it the baby supercar, the supercar starter kit is what I call it. Sure. And a how much is a CLA forty-five right now? It starts at fifty-five grand. Okay, so for five thousand dollars less, it is quite a bit faster traffic light to traffic light than my car. Still holds four people and has a trunk. And it does. probably gets better fuel mileage than my, my uh, Shelby as well. Um, so I, th- I think about that and I go, that's crazy. That's, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. We weren't seeing this 10, 15 years ago. Um, and the fact that we are now is a lot of fun. You know, it, yeah. I remember growing up and everybody saying, we're going to run out of fuel at some point. We're going to run out of gasoline. And I'm looking at it going, well, I'm glad we haven't because we have a lot of cool ass cars out there. <laughs> yeah, stuff, yeah, for sure. A lot of fun stuff. I mean, eventually, yes, it's going to happen. And eventually we all need to go to electric cars and Mercedes Benz are doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, that that is uh, one of the things that um, uh, a friend of mine actually has your, uh, of course, now I'm blanking on it, the uh, electric SUV that you guys have. Um, for a review? No, 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 no. He owns it. Uh, his it's his wife's car. Um, so electric. Are you talking about one of our plug-in hybrids? Yeah, your plug-in hybrid. Sorry, thank you. Yeah, your um, is it a GLC three hundred and fifty E or a GLE five hundred and fifty E? It's the GLC. That's what it is. It's a GLC. Um, okay, so and yeah. uh, they love it. They love it. Good. I, I don't know why I was blanking on it. I was like, I had, I had AMG products in my head, and I couldn't 
I couldn't uh, I couldn't go down to uh, the regular non AMG cars all of a sudden. That's okay. But uh, so you're driving a GLE uh, forty five or uh, sorry fifty three AMG. Yep. yep. What is what is an AMG product you could you would want to live with for the next three years? Any AMG other history either history or current whatever you want. Uh, well. Or you could answer it two different ways. You could answer it, well, here's the classic version or here's the modern version. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, I don't go too deep into classic cars from anyone really simple because I'm always chasing the new thing, right? <laughs> right. We're always training, always training on what's new, the, the new technology and all that great stuff. But my favorite car of all time, this goes back to my ESI days, mm-hmm. Um, is the CLK 63 AMG Black Series. Oh, man. What a cool car. So it was... Uh, <sighs> I'm probably revealing more than I should. So back <laughs> in my ESI days, I'm driving to the press fleet. This, this, there's not one piece of fabrication to this story. Okay? I want to be very clear if anyone's listening. I'm grinning ear to ear waiting for this because this I know this has got to be good. So I got... It was a Friday afternoon middle of summer i'm told that there's going to be a late run going out to automobile magazine which would have been so i was in troy where office was to ann arbor michigan mm-hmm. and uh it's 50 it was 54 and a half miles one way <laughs> and we used to go out to ann arbor all the time because we had automobile car and driver they right. were all out in that area right so um this reliable <laughs> truck shows up um they go, Scott, go out and grab that car. It was, it was, they were hauling one car and the driver gets up, goes on to the second level, starts this thing up. And I heard this most hellacious sounding V8 <laughs> come to life. And if I, if I were to guess at that time, me being in kind of the infancies of my automotive career at that time, I would have guessed it would have been like an old muscle car or, mm-hmm. or something from the big three, whatever. And off comes this this Benz, this CLK Black Series in Mars red paint. Oh, I was going to ask you if it was red, black, or silver. Oh my! Oh, God. and it's red. red. Red's the only way, right? Oh, so man. this was. Uh, I'm almost positive this loan was going to Mark Nordelus when he was oh, working man. at Automobile, which I think he still does somehow. But anyways, this car had to like toot sweet get out to Ann Arbor because I think they were taking it to a local track that weekend to, to track test it, and. <laughs> I got in that car and I, I couldn't believe first that it was a Mercedes Benz, but you're, you're in this car and the sound that's coming out of it is the best sounding naturally aspirated V8 of all time. Um, it had no back seats, you know, they were taken mm-hmm. out of that car. Um, all manual seats, but kind of stripped in the interior. This yep. thing was just this fire breathing 500 horsepower car and i was about to get on i-75 i'm literally at 14 mile road and i-75 about to make a left i'm first car at the light i called my friend brian urban who i went to the police academy with believe it or not he's a huge <laughs> car guy i had my my next tell i-730 <laughs> i think i called brian i said you are not going to fucking believe this sound. I held my phone out the window and just laid on it when that light went green. And just, (laughs) I was like, did you hear that? He goes, no, it's too loud. I can't hear anything. 
And I just, uh, I'm not going to lie. I drove it like I stole it out to <laughs> Automobile Magazine. And if, it was just like... If you had second. been caught, ESI would have said you stole it. So, you know, basically the yeah. same thing, essentially. They would have stolen my job away from me, too. <laughs> but uh, it ain't a crime if you don't get caught, right? Right, and, exactly. Uh, uh, so that car, you know, I, it's certainly not the fastest, most powerful car I've ever driven. I've got vehicles in our lineup now that will stomp its head in. But in terms of creating a an experience... Um, and, and really just obliterating what my image of Mercedes Benz was. And mm-hmm. now giving this, this newfound appreciation for what these three letters on this Benz meant. <laughs> and, uh, I, I swore to myself that so one day I will own a, that car. And, uh, I saw one on bring a trailer last week, uh, 22,000 miles, but it's sold for 92 yeah. grand. Yeah. Right. So, man, those cars are pulling big money mm-hmm. uh still with a few miles on them you know so but i mean i never had a driving experience like that before and it was just like going to my uh, like like the first time i saw marilyn manson in concert which is my favorite live act of all time you can never there are better bands there are bands that i appreciate even more than that now but I, you can't take my first manson concert away from me and the feelings i had just like you would never take me out of that driver's seat of that clk black series and it's it's uh it's got to be mars red so on the classic side josh that's my answer um and that's a hell of an answer by the way oh dude it's like zero fabrication one day i'll own one it's just not right now i gotta pay for a wedding coming up and whatnot so uh and i gotta come out of a uh out of a pandemic with, right. with more, with more money. So it, it's not my time to spend on that right now, but current day out of our current lineup, it's an easy, easy decision. And it is the G 63 oh, okay. hands down. Oh, right. Um, and, and there's no secret. We've got some of the best cars on the planet right now throughout our, our lineup in several segments, but the 60 G 63, uh, I had one for four months. I put 10,000 miles on it. I remember when um, you had that. You posted on Facebook, I think. And uh, I was like, man, I'm I'm pretty damn jealous. <laughs> Dude, it is. I've worked with a lot of new cars at launch from multiple manufacturers. Never have I been in a vehicle that has, has been subject to such a generational change as <laughs> right. that one is yeah. from a, a year prior to it. Um you know, you could put it. You could put like a an eighteen model and a twenty model next to one another, mm-hmm. and they don't they don't look radically different, right? There's obviously bloodlines there. There's no question, and, and that is where the similarities just <laughs> end. And um, it, it, we we still the one I had is a, was a European build, so we can't sell it here, right? So it's still at our training center in Texas, and it was. The Zeno Yellow Olive Magno, so oh, it's basically an army green, uh, all black interior, the best ergonomics of any vehicle that we build. It has uh, uh, Burmester standard in it, and I, I would for every dealer I went to, um, I paid. I played a song called "Killing Strangers" by <laughs> Marilyn Manson. I don't know if you know it. I it's do. from one of the uh, one of from one of the John Will uh, John Wick movies. Um, but it just thumped so hard. It was great. Uh, and the, the acceleration, Josh, is is just mind-boggling. And when you're just throttled down, like when it gets above three and four grand, it sounds like NASCAR inside the thing. And I, I think it's a fascinating 
vehicle, right? Because now, especially with this new 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 truck, you could take it to a drag strip. Mm-hmm. If you were an absolute, you know, maniac, you could autocross the thing as long <laughs> as you bring enough tires. It would be a, a riot. It is an off-road monster. Uh, it, it can haul cargo. It's got it's got good room now in the back seat. You can tow with it. Mm-hmm. It it knows no bounds except for its voracious appetite for fuel. Uh, but that's what you get. Like, right. It's a 5,500 pound military grade hot rod that can climb mountains and it can go to 60 in four seconds flat. Um, I, again, probably <laughs> revealing too much. Um, I, uh, two years ago when I had it, um, every summer, I go up to a place called Alden, Michigan, which is up in Traverse City on the Upper West Side okay. of the state. <clears throat> and it took me and my fiance and our dog up there to my my dad, one of my dad's best friends I used to work with, has a place up there. And his house sits on this landing. It's got a big gravel driveway, and it oversees this kind of big valley that was formerly a uh, a Christmas tree farm. Okay. And there's all trails beat down in it and whatnot. And the first day we got there, we were just kind of laying low, just catching up and whatnot. The second day, he, he Dan comes up. He's like, hey, uh, I took him for a ride out on the road. He's just blown away by this thing, right? He's never seen anything like it. He goes, you, you want to go you go down in the in the valley there? And uh, <laughs> Okay, so you have to understand, like, the responsibility I have with a company car, I've got a manufacturer tag on it. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm, that thing is supposed to be pristine. on road, yeah. pristine, right? And I probably took a little more liberty than I should have, but I, I'm literally, <laughs> as he asks me this, I'm not, I'm not going to have this vision in my mind at the exact time. I'm looking over this valley and I, on, on my left shoulder is my, my direct boss at the time. And I, and on my right shoulder <laughs> is our department manager at the time who I'd gladly tell you more about. His name's Mike. He doesn't work with us anymore, but he's uh, he's got a really cool history. But I look over to my left shoulder and I'm like, Anthony, should I do this? And he's like, Oh man, like I, I'd want to. You might want to ask Mike. And I go, Mike, what about you? And he just goes, Oh, oh fuck yeah, you're going down there, man. <laughs> like he's like, you're like, you're never gonna have this opportunity again. You're going down there. So uh, we took it down, and it was unflinching, even on 22 inch summer tires. It just dug, it went over, <laughs> went over rocks and and I, no damage. I mean, I never even rubbed the underbody on it. Not a body panel scratched. I'm uh, going through brush, and it is just like, how does something like this exist? You deforested half of Michigan, like you just yeah. Right. <laughs> they're like, hey, we need to put a new neighborhood over here. Can you just drive on through? Beep beep. You know, just going right on through. Don't mind me. Yeah, right. And they, and they don't, right? And that's you just feel invincible in it, right? So that's my that's my answer on the current product. It is amazing. And one of Chris like, Harris's favorites too. Oh yeah, and for for uh, and he road course the damn thing right, and he <laughs> right. and he's lifting the tire on it. I remember yeah. seeing the front that was front outer wheel going. Yeah, I mean, like that's not hard to do in that thing, man. And it is. It is our most desirable product in the dealer network on the AMG side. Um, we it's been that way for like two years now. So we we will not get enough of them to fill the demand. That's amazing. It is no, I mean we never, uh, never get enough. Um, 
and, and a lot of people don't know that that's built in Graz, Austria, um, <laughs> at, at a Magnus Steyr plant, right? So yeah. the, the supplier builds it for us and has for a long time. That thing is hand built, large in part. Um, it you know it, it takes many many days to craft it. If I if I think back, I think it's twelve or thirteen days to build a G wagon. So it's a lot of time and labor. That's why they're so expensive, right? But they've got you know roots back to the original. It, nobody's got anything exactly like it. But you know they're eternally sought after. G wagons are just an absolute darling of the industry, right? And and they have such charm. This new one is just it, it's such a force to be reckoned with. And if you drive it, you'd understand. Uh, I hope you get a chance to drive one. But you know it, it's saying a lot from my perspective because <laughs> I mean I got I got a couple other cars in the lineup that are they are just undoubtedly fantastic, dude. Like. GTR, E63S, uh, GT63S four-door, every one of those are, are just drop-down brilliant cars. Yeah. Um, I bet, you know, I, I would argue, and to, to kind of give respect to another manufacturer as well, like an E63S sedan and an M5, be it in normal or competition form, mm-hmm. those are the two best dollar for dollar performance cars Mm -hmm. you can buy on earth um they can each carry five people very comfortably very comfortably they've got mind-boggling stereos in them and in in varying flavors if you want uh heated cooled seats pano sunroof variable all-wheel drive in both of them Mm -hmm. they will zero to 60 just about everything they're (laughs) both they're both cars that'll run three sometimes some like two nine to three three on the zero to sixty insane absolutely insane insane. yeah you're talking like a 4500 pound car with nobody (laughs) in it that can go to 60 in three seconds a damn passenger jet (laughs) exactly yeah it's like a bullet train of a a car crazy um they both have a drift mode, so you can right. hang the rear end out at will. They'll run 11.0 in the quarter. They'll <laughs> you can track them. I've tracked them. They're monsters on, especially on big road courses. Like you take them to Coda, they're both great. Um, so there's that. So if I can, you know, pay a little homage there to BMW as well. Just E63 and M5. Good luck finding cars that can are better dollar for dollar cars. Well, a, They're just amazing. it's a great rivalry, right? It's like it you is. know, it's Duke, North Carolina. It's you know, Green Bay, Chicago Bears. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's those magical rivalries that are you know, you, there's a respect between both sides because yeah, and and you know, look, you and I are in the industry. We know that you know there there's a friendly competition. It's very friendly, very competitive in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. there's no like general hate of sorts. Um, but you know, it's it again two brilliant rivalries, two cars that grew up in very different ways. You know, um, with the original, you know, E Class AMG being a Porsche you know, Porsche-esque uh, sedan from Mercedes-Benz, you know? Yep, yep. And then the E28 M5 being just basically a, a, 
um, just a, a monster sedan with great handling, you know, it, two very different walks of life that have kind of converged into the same, you know, into the same uh, parking spaces, right? Yeah. But both brilliant, both brilliant and yeah. being their own, you know, having their own identity. Um, Dude, I don't think you can get outrageous. in an AMG or in the E55 or sorry, E63 AMG and and um, and get out of it going. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like you just each car has its own little, you know, idiosyncrasies that are so magical and brilliant. You know, it's these little things oh, yeah. that make each car great. But you can have the owners of each car swap. And if they're not an asshole, they'll swap and go, your car's great. I love it. You know what I mean? Oh, there's there's just no arguing that both of those are just uh, state of the art machines. So they're, they're fun. Yeah, you know they and are. If I can go back real quick to the to the yeah. CL, CLK sixty three AMG Black that you were talking about earlier, two yeah. things always stood out to me that I that I wanted to say. One was that tiny little T shifter, right? Uh, yeah. Right, that tiny little yeah. tiny little shifter. Um, and then sure. also the hood went straight up. Oh, like when it was, uh, when you're talking about when it's open. Yes. You yeah. So that's what it's, it's called, called. Yeah. It's called, uh, what we call service position. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and you can do that on almost every, I was going to say actually. most of the AMG products actually do, do that. Right. Almost all Benzes with, okay. with some exceptions, but uh, effectively when you open up, it goes to the first detent. Right. Right. And then you can press at the bottom of the shock absorber and it will go straight up. Okay. I didn't know most out. other Benzes so, did that. Wow, that's very they, interesting. They yeah. do, and 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 frankly, uh, a little a little piece of knowledge here. We we do that for our technicians actually. Mm -hmm. So um, if you've ever tried to work underneath the hood of a car and it's only open to its maximum, you know, from which most cars is what, oh, what forty five degrees maybe it's about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, to to get to the back side of the engine, it's hard. Yeah. Good okay? luck. <laughs> yeah, and a lot and a, and a lot of times labor is spent removing the hood from a mm -hmm, car mm -hmm. so that you can access it. At, at Benz, a lot of times our techs don't have to to take the hood off. So we'll just put it in service position, and uh, it saves some time, labor, and money to the customer. Frankly, um, so that's that's what we do. That's why we do that on a lot of our cars. I can't tell you how many times I've been under the hood of a car, whether it be my parents or friends, you know, doing something. Could be anything. Yeah. Could be even just looking, and. Mm -hmm. I can't say how many times I've just wanted to be able to be like, you know what? Can I just bend this hood just a little bit more back? Because it's just, it's <laughs> right. when you're trying to reach back in, especially when you're, you know, some of the cars, especially some older cars, you can look through and you could see into the transmission tunnel. You know, you can kind of, see, you can kind of look down and see the transmission there. I'm like, you know, yeah. you know, over there, over there. Huh? And, uh, you know, pretending that you're really smart, you know, it's right there. That's where you shift the gears. Um, but, no matter what, I'm always like, I just want this hood to go farther back. And BMW actually had a problem with that a number of years ago on the previous M5 because techs and regular people were banging their heads on the um, on the hood latch, which was basically like a straight three and a half inch spike. And yeah. they had to put warnings there. Uh, yeah, they're, cl they're claws. Yeah. Yeah. They're meat hooks that they had on there. So the previous Gen M5 or, uh, 5 Series just mm -hmm. had that. I think they've gotten rid of those now. But, as far uh, as I know, actually, yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, I'm fascinated that that's what you remember about CLK. <laughs> Have you ever driven one? I've never driven one. I know Jeremy Clarkson had one. He loved it. Yeah, he had the silver one. Yeah, yep. one of his favorite cars of all time, and I think. There's a great, uh there's a great Top Gear episode where they're talking about it, and he's saying that the car – 
uh, when it needed service, it automatically rang Mercedes Benz. And he said that was very annoying. So he, he said he was going to hide it at the bottom of like a basement of a, of a car garage so that they couldn't find it. You know, he's like, don't tell me when it should be. I'll, I'll take it. I'll do it when I need to. <laughs> and then Hammond is joking as, you know, he's got a sign, pretending he's got the cyanide pill in his mouth. He's like, I take in when I, and then just, you know, bites on the cyanide pill. And he's pretending that the Mercedes basically won't be caught, you know, um, <laughs> And it's just, it's, it's, it's hilarious. You know, I, I love that's, I feel like there's, there are journalists and there are people that I relate to all these cars that I've loved over the years, you know, <laughs> and I relate that to Clarkson very much. So, um, sure. I saw a battered, I mean, an absolutely, this car had been lived in, which I thought was great. It was a CLK 63 AMG black series and I, yep. it was parked in the parking lot or in a grass lot of the Pinehurst Concorde d'Elegance. There was only, I think they did two or three years of it. And I went to an inaugural event as a journalist mm-hmm. and, uh, I pulled up, I had a, at the time I had a 2007 911 Carrera S and I parked oh. my car and, a, you know, a few spots down was this, this AMG black. And I'm just like, Oh man, I walk up to it. I'm looking at it. I mean, this thing is, it has been absolutely lived in, you know, and enjoyed there were scratches everywhere, dents. And I'm like, you know what? I don't hate it because you know what? I know that it's been appreciated. I know that it's probably yeah. been absolutely, you know, uh, beaten up on whether it be on a racetrack or back roads or whatever. It's like, you know what? I can't hate it because I, I have respect for somebody who's willing to drive a car like that and actually enjoy drive it. Drive it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not meant to sit in a garage. Go no, drive it. No. You know, totally agree, man. They'll become collectors later on. Um, but they I are do, now, man. They're caught, caught grabbing big money. They're killing so. me because I've wanted one for years. I've yeah. always wanted one. I tried to talk my yeah. parents into getting one, but my dad was like, what the hell do I want that for? I don't need that. <laughs> um, but I have a few more questions for you, and I know you have some questions for me if you want to get into that stuff. Um, sure. So I know that Heather, your fiance, she works for McLaren. Um, yep. Do you guys uh, just basically leave that in the garage as you start to come into the house? or? <laughs> You play like top uh, trumps or anything, you, you'd be like, <laughs> my car's better because I can fit more people. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> um, we are the least competitive couple on the planet. <laughs> Period. Um, so, Heather also used to work for BMW and Rolls mm-hmm. Royce. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I mean, maybe back in the day when she was with BMW, we might have more kind of crosstalk where if we were in similar cars, we might say, you know, what's a little bit better here or there. But no, we we kind of leave that at uh, at the door, man. And to to be honest with you, like we're more we're, we're just so supportive of one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's what's what's critically important. Um, I think we would more talk about how to navigate the corporate world each of us are working in and, and bounce perspectives off one another. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, if, if one was facing a challenge and doesn't know exactly how to get through it, whether to help the other, tr- uh, other, other person. Plus you see, she's in, she's in sales management mm-hmm. and you know, she wholesales cars to the, to the McLaren dealers. I, I support my dealers from an informational side and I can't wholesale them a thing. That's an so interesting our, our, job. A wholesale, wholesaling McLarens to dealers. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's that's what sales 
sales managers do sales operations managers. I mean, we certainly yeah. have them uh, at Ben's and, and any car company does. But yeah, that's what uh, she does, man. She, she keeps them stocked and, you know, is a lot of uh, she does do a lot of handholding on, right. on specific deals and she will talk directly with customers. But, you know, there's a much more, I mean, super low volume brand. Right. Um, much and, different and, relationship. Yeah. And, and yeah. it has to be. Yeah, it has right. to be, right? And they're even. I mean, they're what their least expensive cars what two fifteen just well, to get in the door over there, and that's where basically my cars on the on the high end are topping out for the most part. Well, and that's the thing; their customers are going to expect to be able to talk to somebody in, the, you know, in the corporation, in the company. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And that uh, so yeah, I mean, I I think that I, I, that's the best I can answer it. I mean, yeah. we're just we're just not competitive, and well, I don't think you can really play support. top trumps with, uh, you know, I don't think you're really doing that with uh, Senna versus you know AMG, you know GTR, you know. So I mean, <laughs> maybe not right now. Um, you know, AMG one. Um, oh, now that's going to be a cool car. Sure, sure. So AMG one will 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 love to devour uh, a Senna <laughs> to death. They're, they're, you're going to need a whole lot more than a Senna once once AMG one comes to life. But that's going to be cool. Uh, fr- frankly, I mean, AMG one's a lot more money than a Senna too, and of it's course. got different technology. But uh, honestly, uh, not not to backtrack, but. I mean, if you're talking about cars that are competitive and can punch above their weight, mm-hmm. G- GTR, um, GTR, GTR Pro that we have right now. They punch pretty high. Uh, oh, I man. mean, they're, you know, when they're when they are challenging and, and laughing at uh, Hurricane Performantes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think you'd be looking lap to lap. Uh, as to what car can be better out there. But l- listen, AMG GTR is an absolute race car. You can go oh, yeah. into any Mercedes-Benz dealership right now and order one and get one. And it, it's I, I scratch my head as to how we ever got to this point where you could buy these cars that are absolutely competent on a full racetrack. I mean, I've, I've, I've scorched one on the Autobahn. I've done 175 miles an hour in a GTR on the Autobahn. <laughs> I have had one at Coda, at Laguna Seca. At Coda, that I mean that car is like built for Circuit of the Americas and oh, Laguna I Seca. I mean they, yeah. they are they are so <clears throat> so damn good. Um, and the tech that is in a GTR, and I mean like that is the bread that is Tobias Merz, that our president at AMG. That is Tobias in car form is the gtr i mean that is uh, that is his pride and joy that is his baby well and relatively and, uh, affordable for what it does i mean obviously it's not affordable it's not fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand it is not <laughs> relatively affordable for what it does performance wise what it's able to do and accomplish sure kind of ridiculous right it is uh, it is mind-boggling you yeah. built a car that is absolutely one of the greats of the last 20 years will remember for, sure. for will be remembered for 20 50 more you know yeah um yeah. and it is a hell of a i mean the amg gt as a whole is a is a hell of a good looking car yeah but you go you. gt gts gtr gtr pro and it's like each one you go Oh, it just yeah. You get that nerdier and nerdier laugh every time you look at it, you know, or you get that. Yeah. You know, you, it's like uh, sometimes with with some of these cars. I know you can relate to this. We talked about it with journalists, but it's mm-hmm. like 
it's like when girls used to pass out seeing Michael Jackson or the Beatles, you know, and they used to cry and pass out. That's how I am sometimes inside of myself when I see certain cars <laughs> that I just love. You know, sure. outwardly, I'm like, that's very cool. Inside, I'm like, it's a Countach. Oh, my God. You know, it's like yeah. I'm passing out, hyperventilating, you know. Um, yeah. But that's the AMG GT is one of those cars in general. That whole line is that anytime I see it, it it's still a – I actually look at them now, and I always, I always think just – Ah, just uh, thirty five thousand dollars less, and I can yeah. buy one for my wife. <laughs> yeah, um, or, or you know, frankly, too, the the four door. Uh, have you driven oh, the, the GT four door? I'm not driven the GT four door. I do have a, <laughs> a friend of a friend who has one who absolutely loves it. Good, loves it. Good, good. Yeah, I, I had one uh, of those. In fact, right after I got rid of my g-wagon i went into the gt4 at a 63s loaded every freaking option on the car man and then we did a bit we did product expert training that year at coda with that car on track with our own e63 and a panamera turbo as oh well my God. so you, you got you got three different looks on the track right and i mean i i don't think there's ever been a four-door car that can do precisely what the GT 63 S can do. And that's saying a lot because in the Panamera and E six, like in in-house E 63 S monster car on track, mm -hmm. Panamera phenomenal car. Right. There's no taking away. It's just phenomenal, but you, you get into Panamera and it was good. <laughs> it was good. But man, the 63 S four door, it's just so much more tightly wound. Right. It's like it's a four. It's a forty-seven hundred pound car <laughs> that you can track. Um, I remember I, I ran into Randy Post at uh, Atlanta Airport one time, mm -hmm. and uh, I, it was another moment when I was absolutely starstruck. <laughs> and he had just they had ju I think they had just recorded best driver's car, but hadn't released any of the results yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you recall, I think. What GT four door at Laguna ran? I ended. I think run ran, ran one thirty five. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. It, it's it's in, like it's insane. And and I was like, uh, so we, we Randy and I talked for probably thirty minutes. And you found out that I worked for AMG, and I was like, you know, fanboying, telling him all the stuff that I like that he did, and <laughs> going through his old stuff. And and he's like, he's like, hey, I was just out at Laguna and uh, drove your GT four door. And I said, really? I I did just too. I was at Coda with one, and uh, uh, I was just, I was like, how did you feel? And he's like, oh. Man, I was, I was bombing. I remember those were, I was bombing in that thing, man. That thing's incredible. Like, he's just so jolly about it, right? Yeah. But I mean, he, 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 if you can impress that man with a 4,700 pound sedan that can carry you and your friends and your luggage on a racetrack, it's just, I don't know how we got to this point, man, but it is a, it's a, it's a eerily cool place to be in cars right now with that kind of stuff. It is. It really is. So the, that yeah. guy, the, the friend of a friend who has the, the, uh, the GT, he has, mm -hmm. so he has the GT 63 S yep. he has a 720 S oh, a, four, a 488 spider. <laughs> nice. Um, he has a God, what else does he have? He literally has a, a host Oh, he has a um, uh, a Challenger Demon. Okay. A Viper ACR. My second favorite car of all time. <laughs> and he has uh, he had a Range Rover, but he just got rid of it, and he bought a 
Um, he bought a Ram 2500 because he uses that to tow his Ferrari and his McLaren to the uh, like three hours away to the dealership because he doesn't think it's necessary for them to come get his cars and charge him wow. for it. So he went and bought this truck to be able to trailer those cars to the dealer when he needs to. Naturally. <laughs> Naturally, right. Sure. Yeah, that's when when you have so much. <laughs> yeah. And you're yeah, just like, you know poor what? guy. Yeah. That's uh that was probably the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life when I was told that he didn't I think it was like two grand to pick up his car to take it uh to the dealer, right? And he's like And what? then he went and got a seventy five thousand dollar truck. Yeah, exactly. And and, right. and a trailer, by the way, an enclosed <laughs> oh, yeah. trailer. You know, yeah. so he spent over a hundred thousand dollars at that point, you know. To- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, wait a second, what? Wow. <laughs> so good that, for him, though. Hey, yeah, more power yeah. to anybody. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's your money. Can't take it with you. You know what the hell? Yeah, you're not leaving here with it. That's a good point. So, um, so uh, last question is: you have, and you can ask me whatever you like. Um, Big, sure. Big Lou is your little oh. chihuahua. Yeah, and he is he's the apple of your comedic eye. You you post these funny pictures of him. My favorite is you and Heather, and yes. him in. You guys are in like your um, uh, your like senior portrait uh, type of of photo with his yes. head in the background, photoshopped in. Correct. A giant, and it's it's huge. It's hilarious. It's one of the most entertaining pictures. I actually have it as weird as it sounds. I have it saved on my phone, and it's oh. in my favorites because it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah, I, that's, I love uh, it. I love when you post oh, things great. about Lou. Well, he's he's uh, he is the apple of our eye. He is uh, he's the, the most valuable piece uh, that we've ever added to our lives <laughs> together. Yeah, he's uh, he's a four and a half pound Chihuahua on a happy day. Um, <laughs> and, and during quarantine, it was uh, it was uh, joked about from uh, other sister that uh, he looks like he put a teaspoon on <laughs> during the quarantine. But uh, yeah, so uh, I had that vision of that picture that you see, that you see. Um, God, the, we probably shot that. I'm going to guess four years ago, give or take. Um, have you ever seen the meme, the, the, the constant meme that's, the, that's revenge dad. Yes. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was the inspiration for this. This became <laughs> revenge dog. And, um, I hired a, uh, I hired a local photographer in Chicago and, uh, we, uh, we shot that. That's those images are actually captured at a park in suburban Chicago. She did the Photoshop work. Um, you see the digital representation of it, but uh, truth be told, I have a two by three foot canvas <laughs> of it um, that was probably displayed on, on an easel at our place in Chicago. Now it's uh, it's in my closet right now here in Dallas. But yeah, he's a, he's a magical dog and he goes with us everywhere and um, just uh, an invaluable piece of uh of family to us yeah he's amazing i'm glad you like him i I love pet owners so you know i mean that's the thing if you love you love animals i love you you know it's it's oh i treat people how only how i see them treat their animals if they treat their animals like hell i'm treating them like hell you know Um, yeah well that's cool we'd be getting treated very well because trust me he is he is handled (laughs) like a king Oh, I've seen insane. from your social media post. I've seen he is the actual. He is an absolute king in your house. Yeah. there's no doubt about it. And king he's Louis, man, he's hilarious. No, he he agrees with you. I promise you. <laughs> so yeah. you have questions for me. I I don't think anybody's ever asked me any questions yet. Outside yeah. of like you know how I'm doing. So go right ahead. 
so you've got it you've got that gt350 mm-hmm. and what is the license plate it used to be i am stig uh-huh um it is not anymore okay and there's an interesting interesting story it actually makes me sound like a complete idiot um when i bought the car I transferred IM Stig from my green 2015 Mustang to my 2017 uh, GT350. I bought it in <clears> August of 2018. It was a new car that had never been sold. Um, transferred the tag. <clears throat> Just, you know, it was a new car. It was inspected and everything. And so here I'm thinking, you know, I paid the taxes on it, everything, blah, 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 right? I go to, I know that my I need to uh, do my registration in December. So I do it December of 2019. Yep. And uh, the DMV, local DMV can't find any of my information. Uh, they keep telling me that I am Stig is registered to a Mini Cooper. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. I'm, no, it's not. I, no, it's a 2005 Mini Cooper. No, it's not a 2005 Mini Cooper. It's a 2017 Mustang GT350. Yep. We don't have that in the system. So I've been driving my car for a year actually the guy got the license plate in february of 2019 so almost a year gotcha. yeah on an illegal plate um had driven the car all over north carolina <laughs> right uh had j- just never thought just assumed in my mind that i had that everything was done i had paid for every, like just i don't know why to this day i don't know why i never it, i never thought about um, paying the, the registration when I thought I did, like, it's just, I don't know. It's so stupid. It makes me sound like an idiot. It's and a critical component, Josh. It is a very critical component. So yeah, I've been driving around North Carolina for almost a year on a license plate. The worst part about it is that my wife is black and had driven my car a ton. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I thought, oh my God, if she had gotten pulled over, you know, here's a, a stolen car, you know, essentially they, they're going to think, you know, and with me, I'm going to be putting handcuffs, you know, they're going to be asking me questions. Her, I don't know what the hell they're going to ask her. Right. Yeah. And so, but I'm thinking, I, I'm, I'm thinking about all these times, the worst, the craziest part about it is I have had cops trail me. I know that they were looking at my plate because you can see the computer light turn on in their cars at night. Right. I have had cops give me thumbs up. I've had them tell me to, you know, they've wound their fingers for me to go very fast. And I've gone very fast. Yeah. Past cop cars on purpose. They just never stopped you, huh? Never. They were all behind. The people were behind me. They, I don't know how I never got stopped. Yeah, it's fascinating. So now it is HFC something, a bunch of numbers. So I now, uh, I've now, I can't get I am Stig back um, until uh, if anything happens, I got to figure. Out. I have actually put out a reward uh, for five hundred dollars. <coughs> um, I will give the owner of I am Stig five hundred dollars if he gives me my plate back. Um, <laughs> I will even increase it to a thousand if I can have my plate back. Yeah. The ladies at the license plate agency think I'm hilariously crazy that I'm willing to do that. Um, but now I have HFC, which I uh, choose to believe it stands for. Holy fucking Christ. So <laughs> <laughs> my mom hates that. And uh, well, it's, so. it's funny. Uh, so you don't know a guy by the name of Sean Day by chance, do you? 
Sean Day. Sean Day. Now I'm thinking, do I? Okay. It sounds, almost sounds familiar. I'm trying to think. <clears throat> All right. So Sean is my oldest friend. Please tell me uh, he has an IM Stig license plate, drives a 2005 she, Mini Cooper in Western North Carolina. <laughs> he doesn't, but he has the plate, IM Stig. No shit. And he had, yeah, so it probably it definitely predates you because, but he's from Michigan, so it wouldn't affect you. But um, he had a, a, a GT Mustang probably like an 09, I'm guessing, maybe 08, <laughs> that um, he owns a company now called Stinger Motorsports. And that uh, that that car has evolved into a, a fully caged track car. Um, but he has a plate. I am Stig. And I was just wondering if you guys had ever crossed that way, but uh, We've never crossed uh, pass. Yeah. In but, fact, uh, that but, plate has been on, um, I used to have a license plate that said raw autos, um, for okay. obvious reasons, but I got pulled yeah. over all the time from cops thinking that I was a part of some street racing gang. And I'm like, I don't, it, it's my website. It's my business. But the time it really creeped me out, I was down, I was hanging out with a friend of mine, and I noticed that this car is following me, right? And so I get into some traffic, and he pulls up next to me, and he, like, honks his horn, so I put the window down, and he's like, raw autos, and I'm like, yeah, hi. And I'm thinking, okay, the guy's, you know, been on my website, you know, right? And I'm like, hello, yes, I'm that guy. And uh, he goes, and he's looking at me going, you owe me money. I was like, what? I don't owe you, what the hell are you talking about? He's talking to my friend Tom, who's in the passenger seat of my car. Um, he starts naming my buddy Tom's uh, business, who he's a web developer, web hoster, and he's like, you owe me money. Tom's like, who the hell are you? Come to find out, this guy had done some web development work for Tom. Tom had sent him money via PayPal, but the guy couldn't accept it because he didn't have a business PayPal. He had a personal PayPal, and Tom had sent him uh, money for business purposes right and the guy wouldn't transfer over his paypal account to a business account so we could get the money so he's trying to uh intimidate us on the street to uh get tom to pay him and tom's like i've paid you your money it's in your paypal like you know like so i decided to change the plate at that point and i changed it to im stick so that was my e90 m3 uh, it was an 09 that I had. Then I had it on the 07 9-11. Then I had it on my... I had it so that nobody could get it. I signed over my 9-11 to my dad because he was a co-signer when I bought it. Signed it over to him so he could trade it for a 2014 Corvette because I didn't... I wasn't driving it. I was driving press cars like two and three at a week, you know, over a weekly period, right? Mm-hmm. And so I let him take that and trade it in. I made them put the IM stick plate on his car, on his Corvette. He hated it because everybody kept stopping him, asking if if he was the guy who, you know, he was the journalist in the area. And he's like, no, that's my son. I He was tired of people would send me pictures of the car and say, oh, nice new car. I didn't know you got a Corvette. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, it's my dad's car. So he got really pissed off and annoyed about that. So I had to turn the plate in. I went and bought a new Mustang and then had the plate. Uh, put on my new Mustang and went and ordered it. And then I got it on the GT350. And now I don't have it anymore because I'm an absolute idiot. You got some real plate challenges, Josh. I, I do. I do. It's ridiculous. Man. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But wow. I, now I'm going to have to friend Sean. It's going to be very awkward for him. He's going to be like, who is this guy? Oh, wow. it won't be. And if he, if he delays, I'll have him approve you. But he is a, <laughs> a super, super neat guy. If you need any. Uh, uh, Mustang work. He, he, if he doesn't do it, he'll know someone that does. He used to work for SVT as well, so he's a fascinating I, guy. I gotta have him on the podcast. Then he would be an interesting person. 
oh, oh, you know what? You should. And he would totally do it and uh, just be prepared to buckle down because <laughs> he is an encyclopedia. That's great. Uh, I love that. No one is more passionate about <laughs> the Ford Motor Company and the Mustang and uh, yeah, Ford GT. He'll, he'll go. He's got probably great stories he can share with you. Definitely a worthy, a worthy candidate. So if you need that introduction, you let Thank me you. know. Yes, please. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so, yeah, other questions for you. All I right. gather as I, I do this, like, uh, I don't want to call it opposition research because I don't oppose <laughs> you, but um, strategic uh, intel search. You're a RoboCop fan, I, got, I gather. Big RoboCop fan. Yeah, why? I love it. Um, from the age of three, uh, I don't know why I latched onto this from the age of three. I first saw it when I was three years old. Uh, the story goes that I once asked my aunt, who now lives in my neighborhood, 12 doors up from me. I'm very close to my mom's sister. Um, she said, or everybody tells the story, that I once said to her, hey, Aunt Debbie, do you know what RoboCop says? She said, no, what? I said, fuck you. And that's, and apparently, when Charming. I was, yeah, I was a, I was a blessing. Uh, apparently, when I was three and four, that was my favorite thing to ask people if they knew what RoboCop said. Um, and uh, I used to get really mad because my older siblings used to try and show me. I remember we had a taped version of it from ABC. And mm-hmm. I used to get really mad. That was the only time I really cried and freaked out. I was a very, actually a very good, easygoing kid. But that was the only time I got, I, I hated, hated. And I still to this day can't watch a movie on regular television. I hate it. I want to see all the, I want to hear all the words. You know, I want to hear all of it. Um, and I loved RoboCop and it was the, yeah. what's interesting is to this day, probably the most gruesome death scene of any movie. <laughs> Wait, and, well, when he does in Boddicker at the yes. end or, Oh no, 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 in the, it, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. You know, when he's being shot, you know, when, yeah. uh, I, I, it's, it is crazy to, to, to think about that now, but I love RoboCop. I think RoboCop, <sighs> I also think RoboCop is an interesting, um, He's an interesting thing to or interesting character to think about in terms of society's relationship with authority Mm -hmm. Um, and how also even somebody like RoboCop, who is half human, half cyborg, um, how we can even relate to uh, it's kind of weird to it's kind of weird for me to, to put this in into words, but basically like how we can kind of relate better to the law as a society, you know, uphold the law to a certain standard, um, but also expect the law to uphold themselves to a certain standard. And I feel like as you watch RoboCop, that's, that's how it happens. You know, he, he gets this, goes from this more cyborg thing to a little bit of human, a little bit more human and realizes that it's not just law. It's, it's the value of, of life. You know, um, I love RoboCop. I think RoboCop is one of the greatest movies ever made. Agreed. Um, it's a perfect I, film. It is a perfect film. I was very angry that the city of Detroit did not want to chip in to get the RoboCop uh, statue uh, put together. Right, but that's. I think that's still being built, though, is it not? If it's not already. I think already. it actually is finished. I think it's done, yeah. But it was, yeah. It was 100% um, donations. Um, okay. And it took like three years. But I think RoboCop, it is the perfect film. But I think he's one of the most perfect uh, critical characters in all of film history. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan of the film. Watch it often. Oh, so do I. Um, I they can't, it's a movie they can't remake properly. Yeah, the, the most recent remake was just kind of okay. RoboCop yeah. 2 is all right. RoboCop um, 2 is, yeah, it's right. It's, yeah. 
it's all right. Uh, it's uh, Kane's an interesting character, but uh, it's it, it holds nothing to one. That's for sure. Right. Um, but it, w- it's one of very few perfect films, which would lead me to my next questions. And I was going through your your Facebook feed, and I'll try to lead you down <laughs> down this path. So I see that you have you have met both Robin Williams, yes, and Al Pacino, yes. Both yeah. of which I think have also been in two other perfect films, one of which is my favorite movie of all time. If you say insomnia. And I'm gonna have you, uh, it's not. <laughs> uh, no, but what, so what, what Robin, oh, because they're both in that one, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, I, I don't even know if I've ever seen Insomnia. It's but, a great movie. It's not perfect, but it's a great movie. So what, what, uh, what movie strictly of Robin Williams do you think I'm thinking of that I believe is a perfect film? Perfect film. Um, well, I mean, Good Morning Vietnam is is uh, is great. I, I'm thinking you're either be- you're thinking of mm, either Goodwill Hunting or Dead Poet Society. Maybe I'm not. Okay, but all valid guesses uh, it, that Goodwill Hunting would be a, a valid uh, guess. But Mrs. Doubtfire oh, is of to course. me. Mrs. Doubtfire to me, is to, absolutely. It is like. And to me, that is like the perfect comedy. <laughs> I, I can laugh hysterically, especially with my parents. My dad loves that. And then a perfect Pacino film. Well, I mean, you got to go Godfather 2, don't you? I mean, cause I, now personally, I actually think now Al Pacino, I heard him talk about this. He doesn't like this movie as much as I do. I love this movie, which was Dog Day Afternoon. Okay. I love Dog Day Afternoon. But he talked about he was doing he had to do so many reshoots for it because it was there was this production hell after it was done. And he said he came to not hate the project, but just got grew tired of it, was tired of talking about it, tired of dealing with it. And I was very saddened by that. I get it. I totally understand. But I was very sad because that's one of my favorite films that he's done. Um, gotcha. So which one would you think is uh, is perfect? It's heat. Oh man, Heat is uh Heat will stand up for the for the rest of time. For, of course. For multiple reasons. But it is absolutely a perfect film as a whole because you have oh. two of the greatest film actors of all time. Yep. Um you have arguably still in their prime too in absolutely, that absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. for the longest time I honestly thought that they were brothers in the film. Because okay, of that you diner that was scene, going to be like a subplot. Ah, gotcha. Because gotcha. the diner scene, because they start to relate to one another. Yeah. The more you get into them, you know, like you're, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to take me down. That sort of thing, you know. Yeah. It, and it was like, oh, this is so like, it. When I watched the first time I watched it as a kid, because I'm a big Star Wars fan as well, and the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is so like Vader and Luke. You know, it's there's there's got to be something there that's family, right? Mm. Um, that's what made me think of it. And I just, oh God, heat is brilliant. Grass, you know, just yeah, the, those, <laughs> those moments just uh, Pacino was, and I saw him. So him and Robin Williams, I saw <clears> them <throat> at the, uh, Deepak Durham, Durham performing arts center, an okay. amazing venue to see anybody. Cause it's about 3000 seats, right? Uh, it's very, I've seen great concerts there. I've seen Jerry Seinfeld there, I think four times. And, and I saw it. I, I got to do these things where I saw Robin Williams and Al Pacino there, and it was a it was like an an evening with. So they were being questioned, right? They were being, mm-hmm. 
they were they were, and they took some questions from the audience which was great I, I got to see al pacino talk to the 16 year old kid the 16 year old kid wanted to become an actor and he was asking him these questions from and al pacino talked to him for like probably 10 or 15 minutes about wow. acting but also like when you're young how you deal with it how you handle it but also how you don't feel embarrassed by doing it you know because you're young and other people around you aren't they're not actors they're not trying to be actors you know <laughs> and he just looked at him and said you're young now and and we all kind of took this we everybody kind of chuckled because you know there's kind of a you know an innuendo there but he said do it as often as you can and with everybody you can and we all kind of chuckled but what he really meant by it was act around your friends act around your family become a different character you know those are the people that you can trust to to you know to give you advice or to get on you know that you're going to get on their nerves you know yeah um, and then he proceeded to read a play um from four different characters at the same time he went from he went through four different voices without missing a beat okay and i've never seen anybody just do four different characters completely differently from a page he did like 10 or 20 pages of this and just stood there and did all these characters changed oh. each each demeanor with each one when i mean just rapid fire wasn't even wasn't pausing wasn't stopping wasn't missing a beat and then robin williams uh, and i got to go back to meet both of them um backstage to take a picture and talk to them or whatever and i actually had we had an extra ticket to go backstage to meet al pacino so my family and i we gave it to that 16 year old kid actually um, to go back and, and meet with him. So Al Pacino then stood with him for like another five or 10 minutes and, and talked to him. That's cool. Um, yeah. It made that kid's life, you know? And then, but Robin Williams was magical on stage. He's one of my heroes. And the greatest thing is, and I, I'm, I'm trying not to get emotional doing this, but the greatest thing was when I got to meet him, I got to tell him that he was my hero and I, he hugged me and he thanked me for saying I was his hero. And that was like, that was it. That was all I needed to do was just to tell Robin Williams that he was my hero. And that was it. Oh, I got that's cool. And then he died. And I, but there's like a, I, not that I needed closure, <laughs> you know, in any sort, but there was a thing where it was like, I, I hated that he was gone. I understood why he took his own life, but also it was like, you, I got my chance to say my piece to him. You know, I got to tell him he was my hero and he thanked me and hugged me. So that was oh, that's like, great. That was that was magical as well, you know. So, nice. So, yeah. Sorry, very long-winded answer. Sorry. Don't be sorry. I've talked your ear off today, so <laughs> the least I could do is bend an ear towards you. That's all right. Um, and then I read on your LinkedIn page, mm -hmm. someone referred to you as the Howard Stern of automotive writing. <laughs> that was and, uh, yeah. That was an interesting. Bob time. Bob Long, I think, said that about you. So yeah, I'll cut. I'll cut right to it. Who's your favorite whack packer on the Stern show? Oh, well, of course. I mean, I, God, I'm going to have to go with Eric, the actor from back in the day or, oh wow, you know, Hank, the angry, angry, drunken dwarf was another wow. one. Um, all, all very respectable choices. I, I've, I mean, I've listened to Howard since I was 12. Yeah. So I, I mean, I've been, I've been obsessed. I mean, I, I love, I love that guy. I love him yeah. for many, many reasons. One was that I still believe today to this day, and I need to talk to Johnny about this, actually, Johnny Lieberman, 
because I believe that I'm the first and uh, I'm the first person to ever, and this is going back to my first test cars. Whenever I photographed the interiors, I would always put on the Howard Stern show on, on the, um, on the, the, uh, infotainment screen, right? Yep. Yep. I think to this day that I'm the first ever person to openly photograph press cars and review them with the Howard Stern show showing on the, and then Johnny started doing it a number of years later, not to say that he's a Fairweather fan or something like that, or, you know, like I'm more of a fan than he is, but I saw him do it years later. And I was like, I wonder if I ever, if, if he ever saw any, I doubt he ever did, but I wonder if he ever saw anything I did and started to add it in some of his photos. It could be some copyright infringement there. You, you might have what? a suit. He might owe me some royalties. I don't know. But uh, yeah, you might. I think Howard for me was, uh, and Bob started calling me that because I was Bob's uh, on-site producer. And I would, uh, Bob gave me the great pleasure and great honor of, he taught me a lot of things, number one. Number two, he allowed me to, because I was young and, and new in the business, he allowed me to basically talk to anybody that was about to come on the show in, and introduce myself and chit-chat with them. And uh, he liked that I wasn't afraid of anybody. So that's when he said, you're kind of like the Howard Stern of automotive writing because you're, you, you're not afraid of anybody. You're not afraid to talk to anybody. You're not afraid to, to ask them the most random questions they've never been asked. Um, like I once asked an Audi um, executive why they had to make their center console so difficult to, to get over when you're trying to hook up with a person in the front seat of the car. <laughs> and his PR person is, is baffled, you know, and he is, it's, he's laughing his ass off. Right. And it was, and it was two guys. We were just chatting and his PR guy was only like a week on the job. Right. And okay. he's just like, his face is like, holy shit. How's this guy going to respond? And he's like, I don't think I've ever tried to hook up with anybody in the front of an Audi before. And I said, you know, it's very difficult. And I really would appreciate if you guys would just allow me to reach over and make out with somebody in a passenger seat without having to, you know, have a a, a giant shifter in my stomach. And, you know, yeah, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. So um, it comes down to it's it's an ergonomic uh, issue there. right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's why that's why we put our shifters up on the column in the bench, right? <laughs> Easier access, much friendlier, you know. But yeah, so that's yeah. I, I'm a big Stern show guy, and uh, yeah, I believe that Howard Stern is one of the most important figures for uh, for uh, the First Amendment, for freedom of speech. You know, absolutely. Whether you like it or not, it's you know, feel free to change the channel, but we have to understand that you know everybody has a voice. You know, no matter what you think of it. We all have the same fairness and equality, you know, no matter your race, mm-hmm. no matter your creed, no matter your gender, no matter, you know, what religion or, you know, what sexual preference you have. And I think for me, I learned that from a young age listening to Howard Stern. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> now, cool. now let's, uh, I, th- I think, I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, to Eric, uh, Eric, the actor or, or the midget and, uh, oh, yeah. um, who was your second choice there? I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, Hank um, the angry drunken dwarf. Oh my goodness! Hank yeah, crazy. Both, God rest both their souls. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, God takes the best and <laughs> gives um, us the worst. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Those guys are uh, incredible. But uh, I mean, you, you also you gotta love Beetlejuice. You know, you. <laughs> Beats beats tough to walk away from. I'm a I'm a huge Bigfoot guy, and oh, I'm I talking and I'm talking Mark Shaw. I was going to say I'm original talking, Bigfoot. Yeah. No 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 no. I'm talking. Well, there was the original Bigfoot that was before my Bigfoot. Oh okay, right 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 okay. Um, the guy that was uh, he was in um, 
House of a Thousand Corpses there with yes. uh, a Rob Zombie's film. But no, Bigfoot, uh, the that. guy from the guy from uh, way up near from Canada Vermont. there in Vermont. Yeah, yeah from Vermont. Yeah, you're um, talking about you're talking about Mister <laughs> uh, Mister who has relationships with with the postman up there. And correct. Uh, oh yes. my God. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Do what? Of course, you know. Uh, and then of course you got you know you have you have uh, high pitch Eric who is incredibly annoying. Boy, boy, Howard. I, I just I I love all those guys. I know people that listen to Howard that get annoyed with these people, and I I can't get enough. Like I love Mary yeah. from Brooklyn. Oh, I do not. I do oh, not at all. Oh. I has she has no place on the show. She oh, should be uh, wow. completely eliminated. Um, <laughs> um, See, this is where this you is, and I differ. Yeah, no, she she's got to go. Um, she blocked me on Twitter for whatever reason. I don't even think I ever tweeted at her, so I must have cut down uh, High Pitch Eric or something at some point. And then uh, for me, it, it, like the top three for me are are Bigfoot for sure, um, Eric the Midget, and and Riley Martin. Riley oh, to me Riley was just was like great. Riley's Riley's fights with Howard and oh staff my God. and the, the, all the, the anti-Semitic stuff that he did that he said to Howard, you know, he, oh. would, he would say you you know you you big nosed Jew bastard or whatever because he was so cheap he would call him a cheap Jew bastard. Oh my God, was, uh, yeah, some very cutthroat stuff on there. But my my goodness, like Riley to the to the bitter end. Oh yeah, um, when he was taken up by the mothership and and to live off in the cosmos with uh, <laughs> with the transition. Right, oh so uh, yeah, but amazing mm. stuff. Love, love Howard, and we share the same birthday along with Rob Zombie. Believe it or not, all January twelfth birthdays. Oh wow! No uh, yeah, yeah, and Dominique Wilkins as well. Just Dominique Wilkins measure. is great. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. My uh, my older brother John had a poster of Dominique Wilkins in in our bedroom. Oh. We we were very poor when I was a kid, and uh, the three boys we all shared a bedroom, and we were. Yeah. I'm eight and eleven years younger than those two siblings. Um, okay. And so we they shared a bedroom with a three and four, five, six year old kid, uh, but we had posters of cars and sports and everything. Dominique Wilkins was one of our posters we had on the wall. So yeah, that's yeah. cool. I'm a big sports guy as well. Big car guy, big sports guy. I love all this stuff, and and it's because of my two older brothers were, one was big into cars, one was big into sports. So I had to you know I had to do a little bit of both. You know. Yeah, I have, I'm an only child by my parents, but I have two half brothers uh, from my okay. dad's first marriage, and they are. They're a bit older than me, but they were massive and massively influential on me, especially when it came to music and my my admiration for hair metal um, <laughs> is, is a direct descendant from them. And, and in fact, my first concert was when I was ten. Uh, my mom took me and my two half brothers to see uh, Motley Crue on oh, the uh, doc- so the Doctor doc- Feelgood tour. So, <laughs> it, uh, awesome. but man, yeah. Uh, old habits die hard. I still listen to that music and and then some. So it's a it's a, a special relationship. So I know the the influence from siblings is uh, undeniable. My first concert when I was around nine or ten was with my dad. We went and saw uh, Eddie Money. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then when and, I was twelve, and he passed away recently too. He did. Yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah. I, I mean, I I'm. I'm I'm an all walks of life kind of music guy. So I love hair metal, of course. I love metal in general. Uh, I went to a jazz music college, um, and so I actually studied music uh, in in the jazz world. Uh, but I'm actually technically a blues musician, is what I've always studied. And okay. um, uh, but I played guitar, and my so in my class, basically how they did it was that you had a you had a class of of students. And each one played an instrument. Well, in my class, there was only 
there was only three of us, four of us. And so, you know, one played bass, one played piano, one played guitar, one played drums. So it was perfect. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the drummer was extremely into heavy metal. Um, So he and I, and then the bass player was big into like jam band, fish and stuff like that. So me being a a big blues guy, big Eric Clapton guy and stuff like that, we, um, we actually traded uh, music together. So what we would do is we'd make little mixtapes and, and give them to each other to actually mm-hmm. trade. Um, and so I got big into into metal and stuff like that because it's so much amazing musicianship uh, in the metal world. Um, oh, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful. In fact, the guy who actually created our school, Jeff Berlin, is actually friends with Eddie Van Halen, uh, had pictures of himself in his office with, with Eddie and, and the guys. And I'm very he, jealous. He claimed that he was originally asked to be the bass player uh, in Van Halen. I have not heard that. Um, oh, yeah. There was a guy named Mark Stone that was the original bass player right. for Van Halen, but uh, I don't know about this uh, this Berlin guy. So I don't know who he is. I, I don't know what he down. does. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Jeff is Jeff is one of the originators of what's called uh, fusion jazz fusion. Um, and uh, so yeah, he toured the country as a as a bass player. Um, yeah, so it, or he toured the world as a bass player. But yeah, made a lot of money in South America, from what I understand. But uh, um, when Cream did their reunion shows, I was a big Cream guy. I still am. It's my favorite band. But mm-hmm. uh, when they did the reunion shows, he Jeff showed me the the letter that uh, Jack Bruce sent to him, and he said, "Jeff, you're the only person I can trust with writing the review." for whatever magazine it was about how our concerts were. So here you go. Here's all the, here's all the stuff. And, uh, wow. and Jeff wrote the review of the, of the concerts. Um, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. You, uh, you mentioned Elton John a couple moments mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, um, not to belabor our, uh, our music talk here, but, uh, <laughs> when I got engaged to Heather, and asked her to marry me right before we were in Vegas together. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a wedding in Vegas or anything like that. We're still just engaged. But, um, <laughs> I took her on a surprise trip to Vegas and had first row dead center tickets to Elton John. And we went on stage with him, uh, um, during Saturday nights, all right for fighting no way. and, uh, slapped hands with them, uh, stood, stood up there saying oh, with a big group of people, but like the first three rows in this, in the, in the, I think we we're Coliseum where he had a, a residency. We got to go on stage with them. And that's it's, uh, amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I'm so glad we got to do those things now or back then, right. As opposed to, I don't know how many more opportunities we're going to have like that in the near future. So right. yeah, yeah no uh, co- concerts I'm, I'm looking forward to. I just don't know how soon we're going to be getting back to those, but uh, yeah, it kind of sucks, doesn't it? Uh, it does. My wife surprised me, uh, what three, almost four years ago, uh, three years ago. Now it will be three years in September. Um, my birthday is obviously May, uh, but she, we flew to New York for basically for the day, uh, back in September of 2017, uh, seven days before we moved into our house and we went and saw Eric Clapton at Madison square garden. Cause that was a dream cool. was to see anybody at Madison square garden. Cause I'd never seen anybody at MSG. And, yep. uh, it was the greatest concert to listen just from an audio standpoint. It was so amazing. Yep. And then I'm, I'm standing there, uh, at a Christmas party at my parents' new neighborhood and uh, somebody pulls me aside and said, hey, you just saw Eric Clapton at Madison Square Garden a couple months ago, right? I said, yeah. They were like, hey, you should talk to this guy over here. I'm like, okay, great. So I talked to him, and, you know, 
we're just chit chatting. He goes, yeah, how'd you like him? Oh, it was, you know, it was amazing. How'd you like Madison Square Garden? Oh, it was amazing. The, mm-hmm. you know, the, the audio was incredible. I couldn't believe, you know, the fact that it's the first place I'd ever been to where I could, you know, accurately understand every single word being said on microphone, you know? <laughs> and uh, he said, that's really cool. And I said, yeah. And so we we're just chit chatting. I said, so what do you do? And he goes, I handle all the audio for Madison Square Garden. And I'm like, no way. And he goes, yeah. He said, I was actually at the show. He said, I just, he said, I, I left the day after to come back home. Um, he worked directly for the guy who owned Madison Square Garden and, you know, the Knicks and everything. And he worked for him at one point in time. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's, I'm still friendly with him and still chit chat with him from time to time. But yeah, that's, uh, that's great. That was probably the weirdest, <laughs> most odd coincidence that uh, that's ever happened to me you know sure yeah um, you never know man it's crazy how close you can get to people that are involved in stuff you never even knew never have never have any idea and then he um uh uh i was over at his house one time and uh we were doing uh he has a playstation 4 with all of the um um uh, ar augmented reality stuff and mm-hmm. uh so he was uh showing me some of the venues that he'd been working on and so i was like in there in augmented reality like you know in these venues that he'd been working on for years and stuff and that was really cool too as well to to kind of be immersed in that and understand it from his standpoint then he has all these uh cds that have uh they never ended up making them but they're cds that basically have the same sound quality as um as actual records and uh, he was playing a bunch of this music for us down there in his in his uh, theater room, and it was I'd never heard a CD sound so crisp and perfect, wow. and it sounded just like it it came from a record. Wow, it was amazing. And uh, that rich, yeah, it was. Oh, it was so rich. And he was playing some Billy Joel on there, and oh, it was it was amazing. So cool. yeah, yeah. Right on, man. Yeah, I've taken up three hours of your time, <laughs> and 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 I have yours, but <laughs> well, no, I'm not it. again. I mean, likewise, I'm an open book. So, I mean, if there's anything else you want to chat about car-wise, I'm certainly open to that. But, uh, yeah, whatever whatever you need, man, I'm always happy to uh, contribute. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this is this will be the longest podcast by far. So, uh, <laughs> and I definitely think it's it's 100% one of the most interesting. I mean, this will this will go live on, on Monday, on the 16th okay. episode. And uh, it's definitely genuinely one of the most interesting podcasts. Um and uh, I, I loved it, man. I've had a great time today. Thank you. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Thank you for thinking of me and reaching out. And uh, I, I, I've been listening along. I listen, obviously, to your Lieberman, Lieberman uh, cast and listen to the John Perley Hoffman one yeah. and uh, and John Velker, right? John Volker, yeah. yeah. Volker, yeah. So I listened to that one a bit yesterday. And uh, I'll keep listening along and, and uh, promoting the cast, Thanks, man. I wish man. you all the best it. with this. Yeah. Thanks so much, Scott. I will. I uh, hope you have a great day and I will talk to you later. You too, Josh. Take care, man. All right, you too. Bye. Bye now. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. A long podcast. I know, uh, you know, I, again, we get into a lot of topics, Scott and I did, uh, especially I enjoyed the fact that he asked me some questions. I thought that was very thoughtful, uh, very interesting, because, of course, I'm not used to being asked questions on my own podcast. Uh, uh, The deep ones, I should say, because I love RoboCop. I love Howard Stern. I don't think that is at all uh unknown to people uh i do love howard i do love robocop i do there's so many and i love robin williams i love uh al pacino i'm a big film buff uh and somewhat of a television buff as well um but mainly the history of the art form of film and television 
and uh and comedy of course i'm a big comedy fan and uh yeah so we talked about a lot of stuff really ranging and i was really happy that scott was able to come on and do the show because again i i believe with you know from the bottom of my heart that uh everybody that listened or that is going to listen in the future even though this is the end of the podcast so you've already listened at this point uh i do believe that scott is a is a great person to listen to because he has good stories i think his story has an impact and will have an impact on people that will listen um because i I look i don't know who all is listening out there but i hope that if you are in a situation where you are depressed or where you are you feel stuck in a rut just remember there are a lot of us out there that have been in your position we've been in your shoes and there's nothing like seeing people become a success for themselves. Uh, there's nothing like seeing somebody who wanted something better for themselves and worked towards it. Uh, you're not always gonna, you're not always gonna, uh, succeed immediately. Uh, you can fail spectacularly while you're trying your damnedest to succeed. And there are going to be a lot of obstacles in your way that are going to tell you, you know, just don't keep going forward. But a lot of those times, I would say most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, if you just keep going, you know, there, there's more light at the end of the tunnel than you think you, you, you're closer to that light at the end of the tunnel than you think. Um, and I know that from personal experience with raw autos as a whole, uh, you know, because when I first started this website, God, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I knew I wanted to work with cars. I wanted to work with car companies. I wanted to review cars. And it was very tough because at the time when I started, this came about, you know, my first article was October 1st, 2007. And so this came about and the financial crisis was happening. So car companies weren't interested in giving me cars, right? They, they didn't care. I was living in North Carolina in the middle of nowhere. They didn't, they didn't want to give me anything. They didn't have anything to give me. The, all the press departments had basically dried up at this point. So it, it was about working through that and really pushing and pushing and pushing. And I, there was a time where I almost moved out to LA. Uh, and there were two people that talked me out of it. A guy named Josh Hancock, uh, and another guy named Gary Fong. Uh, Josh, uh, works with, uh, uh, television and movies for getting cars for productions. And he also, um, his company made the cars for the movie cat in the hat. Uh, and then Gary Fong was a guy who worked uh, for Porsche in their press department actually sent me my first, uh, press Porsche. And, uh, both of them told me, don't do it. Don't move to LA. Josh, who actually lives in California said, don't do it. You'll just be another, another person out here doing the same thing as everybody else. And Gary said, Gary went through a list of all these people out in LA and he's like, you go out to LA, you're, you're, you're last, you're dead last on my list. Yeah, sure. Maybe you'll be able to get some specialty cars here and there, but you're dead last on my list of cars that there are people I'm going to send cars to. And he said, here in North Carolina, you're, you know, you're, you know, in the middle of that list, you're in the middle of that pack. And so that, that kind of, that kind of changed my perspective a little bit. And, and, and Josh even said to me, you know, don't, don't jump ship, don't leave. Because at some point it will change and North Carolina will be, you know, a bigger impact with press cars. And 
damn if he wasn't right just within two or three years of him saying that uh and again it was two or three years it was, it was a long t- it felt like a long time it felt like an eternity now it's it feels like nothing you know uh but at the time all of a sudden dan neal who left the la times and went to work for the wall street journal he moved back to north carolina where he's from uh ezra dyer from uh, car and driver uh he moved to north carolina with his wife and kids and it was like whoa you know, damn near overnight, I got better cars, you know, and, uh, but it's, it's all about going through that and, and pushing, pushing and pushing through that, through that slog of shit, you know, you have to go through it and it sucks. It's such a pain in the ass. And Scott and I got into that and, and it, 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 it was so nice because it's so nice to hear other people who aren't journalists who have dealt with that same obstacle, you know, dealt with those similar issues and misfortunes, but just kept pushing through. And so Scott obviously is very successful now and it's, it's great to hear. And it's, it's always a pleasure to, to, um, be in, you know, the room with somebody who understands that struggle, but also works through it themselves, you know, and, and came out on the other side better. Uh, so I, I have no doubt you've enjoyed, uh, Scott's interview. Of course, I will have him on again at some point as well. Cause I, I, I love his, his character and I think he's great for the podcast as a whole. I think he's great to listen to. Um, so, uh, yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, just remember, keep washing your hands, stay home. If you can, if you are an essential worker, thank you for everything you've done. If you're a healthcare worker, thank you for everything that you are doing. Um, if you're a truck driver, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for keeping the wheels moving. Uh, I know that I, like other people have ordered things online and I, I can't thank the delivery drivers and the truck drivers and the healthcare workers and, and the people on the front lines of this, the essential workers that are cleaning things and, and still, you know, picking up the trash and recycling. And, and it's just, thank you to all of you. If, if you're listening and you're one of those people, thank you so much. Uh, for for working hard. Uh, if you work in a grocery store, thank you. If you work in a pharmacy, thank you. I'm sorry to many of these people that are listening or that may listen um, and aren't making a ton of money. I'm very, very sorry if it were up to me. Believe me, you'd be making a, a very healthy amount of money. Um, but in the end, I, I the best I can do is thank you for your for your service uh, to you know to making everything work, to keeping everything going. Uh, it's such an important uh, part of what's happening right now is to understand that there are people out there that are really working their asses off and making sure that everybody, that, that the economy keeps moving as much as it possibly can. So to all of you, thank you. Um, and yeah, I guess I'll leave you with that. And just remember that when you wake up every Monday morning, put some of that freeze-dried Folgers in your coffee cup. And of course, listen to The Raw Podcast. Happy motoring.